0: Alan Quarterman, the master of adventure, has teamed up with the most unlikely partner. Eric is about 6,000 miles that way. To pursue the dream of a lifetime.
1: It's dangerous and it's crazy.
0: And it's what I've got to do. Gold. The streets of it. They're searching for the long-lost treasure of an ancient civilization. Warriors. The odds are against them, and that's the way they like it. Richard Chamberlain, Sharon Stone, and James Earl Jones in the adventure movie of the year, Alan Quatermain and the Lost City of Gold.
1: I think we're rolling. I, uh... Dun-dun-dun-dun-dun.
0: i have been thinking about... I'm... This is... I'm Blake, and this is Dion Baya. This is Dion Baya, and that's Blake. And we're here uh, at Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers. Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers. And, uh... Walking around the city these days, Dion. Um... <laughs> it's
1: like we're leading into a commercial already.
0: <laughs> seeing... Uh... And th- I'm not going somewhere pervy with this, so d- don't get that impression. But seeing women who wear like dresses or skirts in this hot, humid weather makes me a little bit jealous. Yeah. So I'm thinking about going to the kilt. <laughs>
1: you're going to the kilt? I'm
0: thinking about th- I'm thinking about taking up the kilt.
1: Oh, you're thinking about starting to wear the kilt. <laughs> yeah. Oh, there there is a bar that's akin to Hooters called a Twisted Kilt, and I thought you meant you're going to I'm going to the kilt. <laughs> okay, cool. No, no, I don't.
0: No. know. I, I think I know the place you're talking about, but I don't even know. I where went to one, of one of in
1: Phoenix. Yeah, yeah, I don't. I don't know how widespread they are. I don't, they're not like as Hooters. So you're thinking of taking a kilt? I'm
0: thinking I'm taking up the kilt. Yeah.
1: Um, there's a guy. Every time I walk home from work at 10 o'clock at night in Midtown, I walk to Grand Central and I enter. So if anyone wants to stalk and kill me, <laughs> I enter the West Side on Vanderbilt. There, coming yeah. and that there's a in that entrance there. There's a guy who stands there seasonally. He's back as of last week. And he plays the, the bagpipes. And he's mm-hmm. this guy who looks like he sleeps in his clothes. I mean, he, you know, he looks like he just sleeps in a pub and drinks all the time. Kind of like myself. And he's in, you know, he's got the hat on and then he's got his, his, his uh, instrument case open. Uh-huh. And he's playing the bagpipes, and that's his shtick, you know. And then you, every time you know, I pass by because I'm only passing twenty seconds, you know. He's got people there taking pictures, dropping, talking to him. He's got pictures with people inside the. Uh, like, I'm trying to play the bagpipes. <laughs> <laughs> no, but he likes. This is his shtick. This is how he generates money. Yeah. You know, he gets people that You know, he gets tips and all that. So, and he he doesn't wear a kilt. <laughs> But I think if All you that wear said, a kilt, yeah, he doesn't wear a kilt. I think if well, sometimes he may wear a kilt, but not a lot of. The I mean, times. it's not part of my heritage or anything. Well, you could uh, culturally appropriate, okay? <laughs> <can? laughs> I'm just thinking
0: like a little draft, a little of ventilation.
1: I think it will be cool. Yeah, if the you, hot, humid weather might be, might feel nice. And then you, uh, you 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 take up playing the kilt and uh, playing the, the kilt. The kil- <laughs> <laughs> playing the bagpipes, and how cool would that be? You're just walking around playing the bagpipes. I don't
0: know if I have the if I the have wind. the wind
1: in me to be able to do that. Yeah, but you got to just get it going. Once you start going, get the flow. <laughs> and then I think it, you know, once you get air through it, and it starts.
0: Right. Meh, Tom meh, says, meh. think about if you want to also. Oh, you want me to appropriate
1: the? <laughs> you're kill. trying to get me to join this <laughs> this ragtag of uh,
0: Saturday night movie kilt
1: talk. we the it's the sleepover kilt society. We we kilt all the time. Um, sometimes we commando kilt, other times we don't. That would be shocking for women. Cause that'd be funny. Then you're walking up the stairs. You're like, well, you know, you know how I feel. And <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, it's walking like around wind blows, holding my holding my kilt. kilt huh? uh,
1: <laughs> it's always funny because I usually see people wearing kilts either on St. Patty's Day or if it's like you know maybe a marriage, but sometimes if there's a funeral, so you always just see. You know, on a subway platform, some guy in a huge kilt in a Scottish outfit, but it's probably maybe for a sadder occasion. Yeah. But it's always like, wow, that guy's wearing a dress or a kilt.
0: Maybe we can start a clothing line of kilts, and it won't be like Men's those, kilts. It won't be like those plaids, but it'll be like... Spider webs. or Oh, that's
1: really good. That's a great idea. <laughs> <laughs> we're like, you know, no, you know what? We Michael we Myers kilt. <laughs> we, start the, we start the commercial <laughs> like, you know, just like you, we always wanted to wear a kilt, but we always felt we were culturally <laughs> appropriating. Well, we've moved it over. We've taken the plaid away, and now we've turned the kilt into so there's different themes. Mm-hmm. Horror kilts. Like uh, skulls and bones. And skulls and bones. That's bones. Bones. <laughs> bones. Or or like uh, barbed wire. Marvel. We we get Star Trek. We get we get all kinds of licensing. <laughs> yeah, because like <it's> <laughs> there' licensing. Lord of the Rings. <laughs> like
0: the like the yellow and the green. The yellow and the blue and the red. Yeah, it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's Star <laughs> Trek
1: kilt design with like the little logo up the top. Yeah, up the top, and that's where it kind of clips. Like, yeah, yeah, the old, yeah. the old kind of like
0: Kirk's like. That green like relaxation oh, yeah, shirt that, that that wrap
1: that, yeah, Kirk that looks wears, like it's velvet it's like or a something kilt, or, but we'll do kilt style. Or that, that velvet, that fuzzy material. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's great. I think we've just come up with an idea. <laughs> comfortable kills for comfortable men. You know. Maybe we can put in some like real like um, hot talking words that we've redesigned so that there's more air and excess why would you need more air? Don't worry about <laughs> it.
0: <laughs> do Batman and have it like scalloped at the bottom, like like the cape.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. At the end, and then you have a little bot, bat signal up by your waist, <laughs> by your belt buckle. Like a, like a belt buckle? Yeah. And then ladies, too. You could do, like, ladies, I don't know, Wonder Woman. She kind of has a kilt. Uh, anyway, I guess it defeats the purpose, because then it becomes a skirt. It's got to yeah. be men only. Pro- was it? I mean, women um, can wear them.
0: But I mean, we can make a skirt line.
1: Yeah. Well, we're now we're getting ahead of ourselves. But if we did a kilt line of... Um, was it all just movies, or can you do like um, like Garfield? <laughs> <laughs> that would be a nice pattern, you know, that, green, that orange yeah. and black pattern. Yeah, it's like the calico, um, or like um, Heathcliff. You know, maybe mm-hmm. we can different <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Warner I'm, I'm Brothers. I like it. The Max Fleischer years. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we got all the... the Bob Clampett edition. Yeah. The Chuck <laughs> Jones line you know, of guilt. <laughs> wow, you got the... Uh, this is numbered, baby. <laughs> you know, one of 50. Blake and Dion themselves are knitting each one of them personally in their basements. But all anyway, right. it's exciting tonight because we're in um, my parents... Uh, we're in their living room. We, we for so many weeks we've had to like you know scrounge around and hang out on um, like the, the under the. In the closets and under the stairs they're out, and in the attic for the night, they're out for the night. Yeah, we sent them out. Blake to, and I, we had to place ourselves. You know, Blake and I gave him a a pizzeria Uno gift card and said, "Go out. So It's on us." But there's only a twenty five dollar limit. Don't worry, yeah, baby. It's one o'clock in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> go to, to the, the diner. You go, go, go. What the, okay, we we went. We sent them to the Dunkin' Donuts. So they're they're up the block. <laughs> my mom and dad are sitting at the Dunkin' Donuts, and my dad's tapping. You know, he's because his foot. is like. When can we go home?
2: <laughs> Shotgun <laughs> of coffees. Yet.
1: You know, all they're doing is having coffees. So we've got the living room open. And we got my dad's. You know, my dad has upgraded his TV, full disclosure. He, he has now a pretty nice 65 inch mm-hmm. flat screen. Nice. But Blake and I have um, taken it upon ourselves to go into the garage and wheel out the old, uh, you know, um, rear screen. Yeah. yeah, you know the one—the box that he's had. He, we Blake knew me, and we grew up with this. The, it's like the four-three, you know, projection television that's yeah. huge. It looks like it's—it's it's a transformer. It's going to turn into like Shockwave <laughs> 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 or or um, uh, Ultram, not a What's his name? A
0: blaster. You know, we should pull the innards out and make it like a puppet. Uh, oh, the like Baby,
1: he's <laughs> like. <"Oi!"> he <laughs> start, <doing> <laughs> start doing our own movies. My dad would love that. <laughs> what are you guys doing? <laughs> Maybe he won't know. <laughs> <laughs> what movie did he put in? He put in Indiana Jones. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Not a lot of room in there. So we've got that out for vintage, and we're in here now. We've got everything that I we got. we the, the VHS tape. We've got the Horizon models around us. We've I'd got draw, all the models. I my
0: VHS box set.
1: Yeah, of the uh, three. Uh, the two, da- two tape editions, you know, Blake's got it, bringing it back. I remember this isn't, well, I guess, I don't know if I should save this for The Last Crusade if we ever do that, but I remember when that came out at Pathmark, they were getting rid of the, uh, the standee, and my dad took it home, he knew the girl, because it was like the, what is it, it was like the pharmacy slash video department you know so So my parents were going to get their meds and at the same time my dad knew the chain-smoking woman like louise or whatever her name was you know i I want that you want that pat i want that i want that pat so he brought home so for like three years in my basement you know Mm -hmm. i had this huge fuck-off standee that was like almost the size because the basement was a what a seven foot height maybe it wasn't that tall it was a basement height. yeah so it was like up to that you know it's indie on the horse pointing the gun at you and then behind him is the like the Messerschmitt Spitfire shooting at him and you know all kinds of and then maybe behind that there's like you know the faces of the three of them Mm -hmm. so for years I had that thing you know it's like that's fun for the first five minutes
0: I feel like there's something like a band name or something in Indy on the Horse like a song name we could come up with
1: (laughs) oh you mean like you mean this
0: seems like it's a good phrase Indy on the Horse Indy on the
1: Horse Indy stuck on the tank turret with his you know but that's a completely different movie that's a whole other but we're we're going we're in the summer it's a whole other can of worms yeah which we can we can open a little, I have already started to open it so it's kind of unsealed so it's uh, we're going to have to open I'm going to put it, a plastic bag on it and put it in the fridge so it doesn't go off Let <laughs> <laughs> those worms yeah. chill yeah f- ferment but we're doing um we're doing a a, a sequel today cuz we're in our summer of sequels and we're doing a sequel to to our number 1 downloaded movie yes our big smash success was yeah. our Raiders of the Lost Ark episode, yeah. uh, which I the think the
0: gift th- that keeps on giving, as I said. Yeah, yeah,
1: exactly. If we had residuals on that, we'd be making <laughs> tens of dollars. Um, I think that was maybe the first one to also push the three hour and twenty minute mark. Maybe <laughs> you know <what> I mean? <laughs> I think
0: that was our first three plus? Yeah, yeah
1: you might, Rabbit. You might. It might. It might have been. Um, you know, so much so that the player recording it actually had to stop. We had to turn the tape over. You know, not quite as long as our Galaxy Quest episode. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> our four-hour Galaxy Quest episode, where we actually did script readings. So well, we <laughs> actually reenactments.
0: Only talked about Galaxy Quest. we were about an hour of that. Yeah. What else did we talk about?
1: <laughs> I now? don't know. We were all over the place. we were off track. Tim Allen and um, so we're doing tonight uh, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom from 1984. And the Temple of
0: Doom. Doom motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> now this is. No, I don't think we should get into it now. We'll save it for later. But I will hint. I mean, you adjust the lights in the room. <laughs> down the d- it not only is it a sequel to Raiders of the Lost Ark, but it's also kind of inadvertently, unofficially a sequel to another movie that we'll get to later. So stay. Tuned. Oh, I thought you were going
1: to say it was. It's also a prequel. Oh, well, it's also a prequel to Raiders of so, Lost Ark, but there is
0: another movie that this in, you could argue that this is also a sequel to another movie from 1939.
1: Oh yeah. Oh okay. Oh, well, I know you going there. Um, so uh, that always confused me as a kid, you know, because that was before people had that fancy name prequel, you know. Yeah. So when you're watching it, you know, you're you're you know Raiders, and then you watch Temple Doom, you're like, wait a minute, you start doing your hands on your wait. I thought, <laughs> <laughs> How <laughs> can, <laughs> you can this take place you before? You know, how does this, because I think um, what's Raiders is like 37, 38, I 39? In, I think Raiders is like 36. I think this is just a year before it. Is this 35 or 34? I think this is like 35, yeah. Okay. Yeah, because it's before the, we were still friendly with the Germans. I, for, I forget what year Raiders is, but it's, it's before they started, you know, in 39 when they started. Which you know. I guess is, was
0: the reason. The reasoning for Lucas was, like, I don't want to deal with the Nazis. So yeah. Let's oh.
1: make it before that. Well, it's a good idea. You just had Nazis being the villain in, in the first one. So they end up going back to that well in Last Crusade. And it's weird because people I've learned in recent years, there's some people, uh, there's a camp that don't like Last Crusade. They think it's jump the shark. And Oh, really? I love it. I So do I. I love it, I, too. I
0: often say, I know you've confided in me that this is your favorite okay of the of the of the trilogy yes
1: <laughs> we don't look at crystal skull <laughs> we don't acknowledge
0: and honestly i don't dislike crystal skull as, m- as much as most people do yeah there are things about it that i don't like i agree and the things that i don't like about it i strongly dislike but i think keep it's, going brother but i think it's fun you know it's yeah, fine i do too it doesn't obviously it doesn't hold up to these uh, in for me personally yeah but uh I've often said, ever since college, I've I've often said, Raiders is my favorite. But every once in a while, you might catch me on a day where I'll say <laughs> Last Crusade is my favorite. <laughs> Last Crusade's a great movie. And As I, I genuinely love Last Crusade. Yeah, and I can see people... For s- me, it's up there with, like, Star Trek Six in terms of, like, for some reason...
1: Oh, the it, exchanges? Like,
0: I just, like, I love them. Yeah. Like, I know that... They're not widely considered the the best of the series, but like they have a very special place in my heart. Yeah, uh, nostalgic wise, and uh, I, I've watched them, you know, as much if not even more than some of the other installments. And so I love I love Last Crusade.
1: Yeah, I th- I think Last Crusade's great. I mean, I saw it in the theater, and yeah. it was something you know got me completely back into indie. I had Temple of Doom before that. Um, and I could see people saying how when you go from Raiders to Last Crusade, it does get a little more comedic. I mean, I guess it's a poor example, but like the Lethal Weapons, the first Lethal Weapon to like the fourth is... The fourth one's like a comedy. because yeah. Well, I it. mean, this one you know? is... Tra- I
0: mean, other... Uh, Temple of Doom is obviously very dark, and we'll yeah. get into all of that. But there's a lot of like yeah. silly humor yeah. in it as
1: well. Yeah. And I've always liked this one a lot. And then I don't like to pick favorites because I like them all. But I guess... I've always liked this one maybe because it's such the oddball and then it is so dark and then for me what I think I've always said to you is I always felt like it best it was a best example of it being a serial which I've always I agree liked. With that. This is you know,
0: not my favorite and honestly like I I remember we rented it at my dad's house when it was like a new release. I didn't see it in the theater. Temple of Doom I mean. And then uh, honestly I've only ever seen it a handful of times. Like wow. it never really spoke to me. Yeah. But I will say that for the idea of you know, which was the inspiration for the series being those like pulpy serial, yeah uh, public pictures, yeah, like. those movie serials of, of of the days of old, like this is most successful at like it's a home run, yeah of of, like, nailing that idea, like, that inspiration.
1: And you know me. I always say, you know, a story could be okay, but you add Nazis to it. It's going to (laughs) be awesome. (laughs) And this one is minus the Nazis. Yeah, so that's not taking away from Raiders of the Lost Ark. I think it's great. I love Last Crusade. I, too, have some fondness for Crystal Crystal Skull. Yeah. You know, I think it kind of jumps the shark near the end with the monkeys in the woods and stuff, and then the whole Shia La Boof, the boof. Yeah. You know, but I love the... You know, people don't like the beginning. I love that whole alien... Uh, Area 51, I think that's, I love the A-bomb bit, you know, it's just the humor in the fridge, you know, the gopher okay, I, you, I got <laughs> people don't like the gopher, but uh, this one also gets kind of, I don't know, I as I get older my friends get more cynical, so when you talk to them not you, it's like you know, they. I'm like, I thought you liked this movie and they're like, no, that's a piece of shit, you know, so it's like it was news to me that a lot of people don't like Raiders or, or Last Crusade, it's just yeah. silly, it's stupid, and then a lot of people don't like Temple of Doom either. And I'm like, well, then what do you like? They're like, w- Raiders is good. I'm like, just good? When was the last time you seen them? You know, high school? Well, that's your problem. Yeah. You know? So I have a lot of fun. It's probably also... I remember one of my earliest movie memories is seeing on TV, which I think we, we did Raiders. We just said the podcast uh, a couple of years ago, but I remember seeing a preview on TV for Raiders and like, you know, them showing like the title and then like him coming up over the hood and trying to grab the, the Mercedes thing on the truck and the, the ornament and then him it folding yeah, and it yeah. falling, <laughs> you know, so I always remember that. So growing up, Raiders, you know the the ending bit freaked me out. The Nazi, the 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 the, zomb, the bits of them going into the crypts freaked me out. But I love that truck chase. I used to always play that, make my constructs and yeah. my so like GI Joes and play the truck chase. And then when you know when I. 86, 87 when I was in 8, 9, 10, we got Temple of Doom on video. So that was the one I would just watch the shit out of is was Temple it of Doom. Was uh, a
0: Columbia House uh, purchase or a video club purchase? No,
1: you know, that's funny because we were talking some months ago about my Columbia House purchases and I was trying to figure out what the movies were and I left here and I remembered, I said it was Pee-wee's Big Adventure. We might have talked this on the Pee-wee's podcast. It was Pee-wee's Big Adventure, Aliens, Lethal Weapon and then the other one was Above the Law. Steven nice. Seagal, yeah, <laughs> I think his name was still like the Seagal with an have a collection, right? Yeah. <laughs> and like Lady and the Tramp. So like that was that was the the first five sent from Columbia. House. Um, this was bought from the Pathmark. It was one of those uh, like uh, see through kind of clamshell box uh, that doesn't have the, the 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 packaging. It just has the video. So I think it's probably like a like, an you old know rental? yeah an old rental that we bought from the you know maybe like in the in the for sale bin at Pathmark. Sure, he so his dad never took it back? <laughs> <laughs> maybe. He just it, put his cigarette in his mouth. He just <laughs> steamed off all the labels. <laughs> you know, the barcode, everything. Everything on the video. He's <laughs> yeah, he's like, anything goes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but we had Lady in the Tramp like that. We had um a couple of movies that were bought that were kind of officially Released ones, but they didn't have the uh, the sleeve. So this was one of them. So I watched the crap out of this one growing up, and I really enjoyed it. I love the dark elements, and uh, you know, it I guess kind of you could say also got me into that kind of cinema of that serials, the older stuff. All right. You know. Awesome. Yeah, so have a good evening. <laughs> <laughs> I guess we can call my parents up. To come back. And <laughs> yeah, my dad it. Can we come back yet? No, can we come back yet? So um,
0: yeah. So yeah, this was never my movie like I said I remember renting it and I don't know in a way I have a recollection it was 1984 so I mean it was probably
1: and know, we talked about that. it's the summer of Gremlins summer of Ghostbusters 2 summer of Karate Kid maybe no is Karate Kid 84 or is that 85 it might be 84 but it, I don't know it we talked about summer. the summer yeah we've talked about in prior casts how awesome that summer was of 84 was uh, Starfighter maybe Sure. Throw <laughs> so that on the list. <laughs> is Tron or no Tron's eighty three? No, that's that's earlier. 80, okay. But it's like the summer was to be reckoned with the summer of eighty four. I mean so much so they're making like American horror story. Summer of eighty four. Yeah. You Back know. to the future. Back to the future.
0: Is that eighty four? Well, anything? they go see it in Stranger Things. Oh. Well, Spoiler then.
1: alert. Yeah. It's playing at the it's playing at the mall. <laughs> Jeez, I haven't yeah. So um it's amazing so you go and rent this probably what 85 i would probably say probably 85 yeah i mean so then i was probably i don't know six or seven 18 19
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah. and i remember just like not even knowing it existed uh, this my re- my recollection is like my dad rents it
1: and it's like but you so promotion is going by you but you, yeah, know, a raider, you know what raider you know i remember my is. dad
0: being like it's I'm like what?
1: But you know Indiana Jones. Yeah, like an Indiana, another Indiana Jones movie. Yeah, what are you talking about? You are lying to me. <laughs> At the same time, I remember uh, the contemporaries of the era. Uh, I was a big Fire Walker fan with Lou Gossett Jr. and Chuck Norris, which I think is also maybe canon, maybe. Um, the, the quarter main movies yeah, uh king I, solomon's I, mind was huge for me movies, and yeah. then i actually saw with the Arthur chamberlain yeah the lost city of gold i saw that one in 86 with sharon stone i think she's in both in the oh. movies you know and now i think even when i was watching it when i was little i was like wow this is low budget <laughs> <laughs> like, damn yeah but that girl's hot as hell in the in lost city of gold but so these were like the, i remember being like knee deep when the, all that stuff was coming out so did you know raiders by that i point? think i believe i knew raiders so you we, knew who this guy in the hat was
0: we also had a uh we had and i probably mentioned it in our raiders episode we had i was very into books on tape like story like not books not like a novel on tape as a <laughs> kid but when you would get the book and yeah, it would be like, like a record or something <coughs> the tone turn the page Beep. <laughs> and uh we've made several there were oh. a couple of uh we had a couple of them that were on 45. <sighs> that's a quick movie. <laughs> yeah, it's like six minutes.
1: <laughs> yeah. Just go. Hey, that's that's a total of both sides. <laughs> yeah. You have to flip that shit yeah. for, the, for the next yeah. two minutes. Or I mean, was a Cherry Pie? Or, or, or what's the name of that? It's the, the Bye Bye American Pie? They had to actually turn that over for a <laughs> yeah, for, for single. Yeah, the single of, Bye Bye, Mr. Ba. Be- <laughs> Put my berry in there. Sorry. The,
0: so we had Tron. Yeah. And we had Raiders of the Lost Ark. Wow! And the cover was Indy in the map in the model room. Okay, with the staff. Yeah, you know. With oh the yeah, 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 line. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and so, I, like, so I knew. And we had the toys.
1: Yes, my, Raiders. Toys. Raiders toys. Yeah, Raiders, Raiders the toy had line.
0: Probably more for my brother, and I probably just hijacked them. Which was uh, we had Indy. Yeah, uh, I had uh, the bad guy. The guy with the thing on his hand. I had him. Yeah, and he had like a rubber jacket yeah. that would go over his shoulders yeah. he could peel <laughs> he, it off he'd have
1: a little thing that would turn <laughs> into a <laughs> into a <coat> hanger. <laughs> it was really hard to put together
0: <laughs> you always break that shit the other bad guy like the other archaeologist bad guy
1: yeah who had the turban at the but end but he
0: wasn't the turban yeah. he was in that oh, outfit I, oh i know uh i never uh, had any i think we might have had the the swordsman that he shoots yeah In <laughs> yeah.
1: case you haven't seen raiders yeah. and then we you. had
0: the tomb
1: Oh, the, uh, the play set. Yeah, with the, with the Ark of they, Covenant. And they had a truck that came out, too, and I've always wanted to go back because I never were able, sadly able to own any of those.
0: I still have the indie figure somewhere,
1: That's although right. I don't think I have the whip or anything. Did you rip the hat off to see if what was his hair looked like underneath? No.
0: Um, <laughs> Hat, hat's still on, but I think his fingers are broken. Yeah, because all those years put, sticking that whip in, <laughs> <laughs> jamming that whip <laughs> and then And then trying to squeeze it
1: close so yeah. that the whip would stay. <laughs> <laughs> For him to jump around. So you had all that With stuff. whip
0: action arm.
1: Whip action arm. <laughs> like a spring in there. Yeah, he's beating people. Um, also around this time, too, which I'm a huge fan of, is um, Romancing the Stone. Yeah, that Joe Wilder, you Joe Wilder, the novelist. I saw that growing up. So same kind of thing for me. You know, a adventurer, explorer. Not so much Jewel the Isle, which I think is like a couple years later, which I like. Yeah. But romancing the stone for me, being in like South America with the plane crashing and the mud and Kathleen Turner looking all sexy and Michael Douglas, you know, that was all. It's all the same arena for me, you know. Mm-hmm. And being a Johnny Quest f- fan of the cartoon growing up, this is Temple of Doom for me is so steeped in all that. You yeah, know. Yeah. So, what do you remember your impressions of watching this then that night? Uh, I mean, I remember it. Not like any getting freaked out by the the, the meal or. The, I mean, the, the sacrifice the part.
0: I think is pretty startling. Yeah, but I think as you know, you get to a certain age,
1: you're like. Cool. Yeah. yeah like, I'll oh, eat that sweet. too. Yeah. <laughs> 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 i love about, i, love about, I love love that shit. Yeah. You go to your dad. you like, "Cut him off today. Cut him I'm I'm Don 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 don't, It's funny that uh, I was talking to my wife about this, and and that there's this scene later on in a spoiler or where, uh, where you know, indie's turned into the the zombie Indy or whatever yeah, the bad guy, yeah. and he's putting her. He's putting her, you know. He, she, he, she's like trying to talk him out of it, and he starts. She starts, "Come on, Indy, wake up!" And then he's like, Shaba. And he takes her arm, and it's like real frightening. He starts putting mm-hmm. it in. So I was saying to my wife, like, "I wouldn't even need to drink that shit. I just start putting you up there." And she's like, "But you haven't had any drink. drinking." I'm like, "Hamumshuba." <laughs> just sacrificing her. Well, I remember, like,
0: you know, you get to a, then you get to a certain age, and you, you know, you you with friends, and you start roughhousing. Yeah. You know, like, try to rip people's hearts. <laughs> yeah, and then that would be like the finishing move. You'd be like, I am you, I am And they'd
1: be like, like try, try to hold your arm. Your arm. <laughs> That's You grew your fingers really long, your nails.
0: And I believe in one of the movies, at least one of the movies, one of the horror movies I made in high school with, uh, amongst the many, the collection of the movies that I made with my friends. Yeah. There was some, one of, I think it was Paul started chanting a mom <laughs> in one of the episodes, in one of the movies. So, I mean, it had a lasting effect. Yeah, of course. Um, but it just was not Another in your movie playlist. that's always connected <clears throat> in my mind to this movie because there's a lot of similarities and it's a movie that uh, you know is, is a movie very near and dear to my heart is young Sherlock Holmes. Yeah. Which has, again, this big, like, occult, uh,
1: you know, Connection, sacrifice-
0: yeah. At the end, like for a finale in the underground, which is a year later, which Spielberg, I think, is one of the executive producers
1: yeah, of. he was involved. <coughs> That's that, a movie I haven't seen probably since it was on its run on a movie channel, I like in '86. Well, I'm sure we're going to get to that. So yeah. Much. Um, I think now you're contractually obligated, right? Every once a month you, uh, <laughs> yeah, so you bring to that up it. Yeah. <laughs> to fulfill your contractual obligations. Yeah, after my uh, after my 21 contra- Jump Street
0: after my contract went out with the the 21 Jump Street, which table. you're not allowed to bring <laughs> up. We we'll
1: have to bleep that.
0: <laughs> but uh, so you like so that? My, idea so that my be- in my like they're kind of they so there's a big similarity, yeah. in what's going on with the two. Now what's interesting and obviously as kids I never really put two and two together, but. I just, uh, a couple months ago, I had to, I wrote an article for a magazine and it won't be out till, I think, August. But part of the concept. 2019. (laughs) Yeah. uh, Part of the idea of the article that I wrote, I mean, it's about a specific movie, but uh, that movie is heavily influenced by the fact that there were, was the, uh, satanic panic yeah of the late
1: 70s and early 80s We well, and we brought that up on what the craft we talked a little about that yeah
0: probably and I think in some other one but I can't help but feel like that's also partially responsible for things like what's going on in this movie
1: bringing in like the Hawaiian and, <laughs> and, and like Aztec sacrifice <laughs> because ambulance. there was this
0: big fear <laughs> apparently and when you look back there you know was on local news and cults and Don, stuff. Donahue sure and, uh, Geraldo, <laughs> you know this idea of cults and satanic uh, rituals and sacrifice going on. Uh, so I can't help but think that that,
1: this that in, in that environment
0: also helped influence things like Sherlock Holmes in this movie and yeah. that idea of ritual sacrifice to for for you know cults. Uh, purposes and, and stuff so I thought that was really interesting because that was obviously something that I never really thought about as a kid and,
1: and that's and like,
0: may not even really think about now had I not just done a shitload of research about it
1: and for an article you remember Firewalker the, the Chuck Norris Lou Gossi Jr. movie that's what that's about they're going I think to South America and at the end they're talking to a guy I think it's the gentleman who may I might be wrong but I think it's the guy who plays Billy like in, in um, Predator and who's in Poltergeist that actor, uh-huh, yeah. I think he may be the bad guy in that. And it's one of these things where he's like an Aztec kind of, you know, There's, if I remember correctly, there's a sacrifice and there's a tomb, you know what I mean? So you're right. There is kind of that. And then isn't that the lost city of gold too? In, in the, the quarter movie, I think aren't they sacrificing women to the, to the, I th- very well could be, but and, then you also had like, uh, what's that movie with Michael bean and
0: Demi Moore. Oh, the uh, the seven sign maybe. Yeah. And then you had, what's the loop? What's the Lou Diamond Phillips one?
1: The uh, stand, no stand <laughs> delivery. Um <laughs> I'm just gonna shoot yeah, yeah. that. I, I, I know the fourth power, maybe something power, something power. With is that with uh, Morgan sixth Freeman? Six power, sixth, yeah, that could be sixth power. Um, and then also somebody's gonna correct us. Uh, tweet us out, tweet us out now, <laughs> tweet that out. Uh, for me, Garfield. We talked, we did a Garfield Halloween special a couple years ago. Um, on that, there was a Garfield. Garfield in Paradise, where he goes to Hawaii, and uh, at the end of it, they have to sacrifice the 57 Chevy, because they're supposed to sacrifice a virgin and they sacrificed the car into the volcano so it won't erupt Wolfman Jack's there like you gotta sacrifice <laughs> <guy's> David Garfield <laughs> but, they, no, but they, they, they got him they had him in there as I'm you know he's the tribal <laughs> hello there you were. gotta
0: sacrifice that thing you gotta sacrifice the car
1: and then what's his face is there too Frank Nelson's last performance yes oh it's you again yeah, that guy uh, but so point belaboring the point is that yeah though, even in cartoons you had distilling sacrifices and what's the what's the crazy 80s cartoon wow <sighs> Where it's like uh, monsters and goo, and you got slime, and it's like they're they're kind of skeletons, and you can open the chest, and they're oh, coming out yeah. of the water. And uh, I feel like it's a like a like vehicles or a playset, you know? Remember that kind of it's mid '80s, hard '85, '86. Yeah, you know. But I remember they were slimy and they glowed, and I feel like they had bones, and you know. Anyway, but that's like I feel like that was all kind of like mysticism or all kinds of
0: yeah. You know, I also think that there's a fascination. I mean, this doesn't really have. I mean, like this has. Okay, I'm going to take that back. This does have. There's this element of I think I feel like it was very big in the '80s. Yeah, I'm taking my shoes off. <laughs> you know, there are certain things that I feel like we grew up with tropes. Yeah, that I don't think I don't know. Maybe I could be mistaken, but I don't know that other kids are current. Kids, uh, generations grow up with, which is like quicksand was a big fucking deal. Quicksand we was a bit getting stuck in quicksand, <laughs> you're dead. And these these
1: movies, these are like you know, the or I'm sure, either either, Romancing the Snow Firewalker or Quatermain has a
0: generation. Is an entire generation of kids terrified by quicksand? Yeah, yeah. The idea that we could get sucked under into uh, into quicksand, but the other idea, and then you w- try to grab a branch and it's a snake instead. Yeah, but the other thing is like secret. R- compartments, yeah. you know, like secret doors. There's a, uh, you know, w- w- whether it's fucking Webster. Yes,
1: when he <laughs> moves yes. <it>, <laughs> <that> House, <laughs> when <laughs> he moves from when they move the apartment to the house, and there's all these, and there's people like living in <laughs> the there's, walls. There's <laughs> How fucked up that is!
0: It's freaking turns into what's that? The children <laughs> under the stairs, the people under the stairs. <laughs> they move into this house, and there's people living in the fucking in walls. The fucking in the walls. House.
1: There's a. I got two things. There's a po- post MacGyver movie, Richard E. Anderson called, really good called, Through the Eyes of a Killer. I think it's called, and spoiler alert is like he's supposed to die halfway through but at the end because he's an architect he redesigned the apartment he's living in the walls and the girl who's the lead she thinks he's dead and then at one point he comes through the you know, and then she gets stuck and she's running through the walls and it's, he's been living in there for months like because he's fascinated by her and then the other thing <laughs> there was a Saturday afternoon people people part of people in the place who's listening tweet me out the name of this if you guys know this Christian Slater as a child he did an s- after school movie where he moves into a house with his family and either that house or the house next door is supposedly haunted and he meets like a girl in the neighborhood and they become friends and there's like a ball coming down the stairs they think it's so and then come to find out at the end of it is they use a backhoe to get to get into the there's a false like you're saying there's a false room in a cellar and the guy who used to live there who's dead like like he hid all his money down there yeah and it's you know Christ, uh, he was nobody at the time, Christian Slater, but it's like a haunted house, you know, one of those after school movies. S- scared the crap out of me, you know, when yeah, I was little, you know, one yeah, of yeah. those kind of things where like, I'm start, I'm going out of my dad's basement. I'm digging. <laughs> <laughs> there's money down here, dad. <laughs> you better call the hospital again. I <laughs> saw it on TV. Yeah, yeah. You better call the hospital, honey. So, so I feel
0: like this plays into yeah. like that fascination of there's a secret, there's a secret room, you yeah. know, and he goes down and then, I don't know, I just feel like, we also grew up in a time where like subterranean Chuds. <laughs> well, chuds or even like the Beauty and the Beast TV show. Yeah. Like people living
1: Superman. A subterranean. Lex Luthor, remember Lex, yeah, Lex like, Luthor's
0: living Underground Central? The fucking turtles? The turtles. You know, this idea of things going on, you know, underground. Cannibaloid. <clears throat> I just feel like <laughs> humoristic There's a lot of things developers. going on in Temple of Doom, but I think we're like Big in the eighties, yeah. You know, it just it doesn't have ninjas. The appeal.
1: no. But, but it had, you know, had it had ninjas, this movie would be about as eighties. <laughs> I'll tell you though, the guys, certain guys near the end of it, their their makeup and stuff. I keep thinking I'm seeing Alice Cooper running around, you know, because they're you know, so they had Alice Cooper, yeah. like you know, <laughs> the, the face. You got the glam pain of like Kiss, you know, or like the, the hair metal bands of the eighties, you know. Um, but uh, yeah, never, never my movie. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Bro. Good night. We also read the novelization for this by uh, James Kahn. Not James <laughs> Kahn, the actor, but James Kahn, K-A-H-N. That'd be or awesome he had like a sign. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, uh, that's why they cast him in Misery. misery.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it was research from Misery. Yeah. He started writing
1: novelizations. Or, or in Misery, she just loves his novelization output. So he's not even like a Stephen King. Like, like I loved
0: your version of how the, Duck. <laughs> yeah,
1: you, know, <laughs> you know, your your novelization of somewhere in time is just so <laughs> powerful. <laughs> your young Sherlock Holmes.
0: Your uh, so tell us, Dion, the novelization. Uh, Break it down for well
1: us. Well, th- it's one of these things where I feel like like your cautionary tale in Star Trek Six when we talked to novelization. Maybe we should hit it at certain points. Yeah. Um, there, it's it's. I'm glad. My fear
0: for the people that don't know that conversation my fear of when we talk about novelizations is if we do it in a big chunk too early in the movie people that don't give a shit about the novelization yeah. get
1: bored or they get lost because either yeah, one of way, are, they usually, the yeah. are they talking about the movie
0: or they talk about the novelization
1: you, most likely usually myself I won't delineate which movie we're talking about so the novelization and it's funny too because I thought I lost the paper because I had my ro- Robocop 2 notes on here uh-huh. on the same little piece of paper but then I thought I left it up in your mom's uh, water, hot water closet <laughs> Why are you <laughs> Why is it a crimp sheet? <laughs> so, don't worry, Mom. So, um, I thought I lost it. I was like, oh, I did all that, wrote all these notes on, on um, the novelization, and, and, you know, but I, I had it. I found it last minute. So, I mean, for the most part, I feel like the novelization, it's kind of told from short rounds perspective. Interesting. Um, you have the scene start off with them in Shanghai, uh, and then it cuts away when he when he breaks out of there it cuts away to the next chapter and it's this whole backstory of Short Round Short Round you're introduced to him while he's in a um, uh, opium den and he's stealing from a Belgian who I thought at first was going to be Indiana Jones and it was going to be the backstory of how they met but it's not and he's running across rooftops and he gets away and then he knows where the car is parked this rich guy has it and he knows he's going to use it later tonight, so he's just buying time and he's talking. It's, and it's really setting the stage of he wants to go to America. You know, he loves Indiana Jones. He thinks Indiana Jones is a um, reincarnation of a lower god called Hao pao which is he who discovers treasures, and he 's learned English by watching uh, the Hollywood movies that have come over uh, a lot of references to he wanting to be James Cagney or watching Nick Nora and Asda from the Thin Man movies mm-hmm. or the shadow at one point he 's walking by the um it 's getting dark out and he 's by the the uh, the waterfront and there 's a sailor with a radio, and he 's listening to the shadow and and that comes up later on. who knows who evil looks in the you know hearts of men with. The, the whole part with the cult and he's like the shadow nose Indy nose and all that stuff and he kind of looks like Indy is his dad you know um, and as I said you know we as we go on I can interject parts of it you know it was I never picked up on it watching the movie until this particular viewing but in the book you know the club is called Obi-Wan yeah. the, the, the Shanghai Club and also taking a stop with the novelization a lot of this if you go back to our Raiders of the Lost Ark podcast we also heavily talked about the uh, script meeting that Spielberg had with George Lucas and L- Lawrence Kasdan. Yeah, where then they taped all that, and then that some some guy ended up transcribing it. And there's a transcription of that conversation. And you learn in that the plotting. We had a whole new respect for Lucas from that, uh, and how stuff is designed, and them really just going at it, brainstorming, talking stuff out. And in that conversation, you hear a lot of like the ideas that they have to then put on the shelf that they end up incorporating into this. Like yeah. they came up with the Shanghai scene, uh, him getting away for Raiders. They came up with the minecart scene for Raiders. They came up with a, a biplane scene that they end up scrapping in this movie that they end up bringing back for last crusade. So there's, it's fun seeing the stuff we already read about now being incorporated into this.
0: Yeah. <clears throat> in some, some accounts, Lucas even says like, well, we knew that we wanted to do like the big raft escape. Yeah, out of the plane, and we knew we wanted to do the minecart. So in a sense, they almost were like, "Okay, we're going to put them in this movie." Now let's write a plot. Yeah. that we can incorporate <laughs> Like they almost wrote it around those set pieces. Well, you know, in, uh, in a certain sense,
1: not to get too in the weeds, but for me, when I write, especially like mystery and whodunits, I love to have great set pieces so I will sometimes think up a set and then figure out how to get my character there you know so I like that you know if you can have yourself have a big spectacle of something and then figure out how you're going to get your characters to that that's fun so I've heard of that writing where you just come up with sequences or like they had an idea of if it was one of the beginnings of this movie Temple of Doom that they didn't end up doing was that he was gonna it was since this is a prequel he's in a... Shanghai Museum stealing the the top of the staff of Ra from Raiders, and then he gets away and he somehow gets on a motorcycle and he goes he, he gets away on the Great Wall of China. Yeah, he's but like then a motorcycle chase on yeah, on the Great Wall, which kind of China. turns into sort of what you see with Crystal Skull when they're in New Haven at the Yale. Yeah. And you got that kind of motorcycle chase that, you know, but it's around the the, the the campus of Yale. It's not on the Great Wall of China. But they realized quickly how implausible. I feel like if they did it now, they'd say, screw it. We could do the Great Wall. But back in yeah. the 70s or 80s, you couldn't, you, you know, you you'd basically shoot. China was
0: like, you can't shoot here. Yeah. what's not happening? <laughs> yeah, you're not shooting. None of
1: this is getting shot here. And that's the same thing that ends up happening with India. They write this thing. And then they're like, sure, you know, we're Steven Spielberg and George Lucas. We can do anything. And then when China and India read it, China's like, you're not shooting anywhere yeah. in our province. And then India's like, yeah. this is it, insulting.
0: India's like, not only can you not
1: shoot here, but we're going to ban this. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> because we want this is all this stuff is highly insulting to our culture or is perceived to be. Which kind of brings up that, like,
0: uh, apparently, allegedly, they originally went to Kazden to write it. Yeah. And Kazden heard the ideas that they had. Uh, probably more specifically, Lucas,
1: and was like, N- "That shit's like too fucked." <laughs> yeah, and, and that, which is, and I forget he's already doing something at the time, which I forget what he was on, Kysten, but he's in the middle of a project, but he bows out because he thinks it's too dark.
0: Yeah, so apparently he uh, he says no. So then Lucas goes to Willard uh,
1: Hewick. Yeah.
0: And Gloria Katz.
1: Who I think are an item. Like they're maybe a married couple or a common law marriage.
0: And they had, they met when they were in, they met Lucas when they were in school or at least Hewitt did. And, uh, so Hewitt and Katz co-wrote American Graffiti. Now they (coughs) had been to India. They knew people in India. And so they had kind of a knowledge, uh, and an interest in India. So he went to them and said, you know, we want to set this movie in India. And, uh, That's how uh, they came aboard, and it starts getting uh, written. Now, Hewitt ends up going on to write and direct Howard the Duck a couple of years later. Sweet. And uh, a a movie that Lucas had been uh, kind of writing and developing with them since the 70s, Radio Land Murders, which becomes significant to Temple of Doom... In a little while, we'll get to that part. Yeah, they end up making that movie in 1994. But so this was a uh, a pair that he was comfortable. He knew from when he was pretty young, and had collaborated uh, with a lot. Now apparently, they also did these script meetings. And yeah, recorded I know. them. I was thinking, how awesome would that be? So he and transcribed them, and they have like a 500-page transcription of these script meetings. But
1: uh, at the Lucas we table for like to four days, look. <laughs> we, we looked. We said we hired PIs, but <laughs> it didn't get that far. They they come up, they're toying with an idea, and there's a couple of botched plot. They first thinking about maybe like a like a lost world kind of a thing where they they find like it like uh land of the lost where they they find uh indy finds like dinosaurs or whatever they don't do that they think of a one where I think even even Christopher Columbus writes a spec script about like a monkey king in Africa, and they deem that that might be too offensive, and they they That's reject that script. This one yeah. <laughs> then the third one, which I think Lucas um, kind of does a treatment for, which I think is awesome, is it's it's a it takes place in Scotland and it's like a haunted mansion.
2: Yeah,
1: and I was like, oh, that sounds kind of up you know uh, Indies Alley, but they deny that. They get to this idea, Well, Spielberg. Allegedly, oh, yeah.
0: was like it's a little too close to what I just produced and and uh, <laughs> quote unquote quote unquote produced, which was poltergeist. Yeah,
1: air, air quotations. And he even
0: said like that idea out out the idea like out polter's poltergeist. So like he didn't want to do that.
1: Yeah. So then they come up with these ideas of which I, I mean I this is stuff I love like the religious cult like we're talking about child slavery which is kind of crazy slavery. black magic human sacrifices and these are the elements they come up with with these other set pieces that they had left over from um raiders and that's when they approach Kazdan, and Kazdan's like yo this is too dark man i can't get on board with this bro so he leaves they bring these two other people in this couple and they have these great script meetings that we're talking about where we'd love to get copies They, you know uh four days of them just in a room with a tape recorder and then everything's transcribed 500 well, I words
0: mean, we- Dion was the one that found the transcription for Raiders of Lost Ark. And so he suggested I read it when we did the Raiders of Lost Ark episode. Bruh, bruh. (laughs) Dude, you got to read this You got to read this, bruh. (laughs) And it really was fascinating. Yeah. I mean, it really was this, you know, a a peeking through like the keyhole into the minds of uh, most specifically George Lucas. Yeah. And the process of how these movies got made and, and you know we we talked uh briefly about it i mean we talked about it at length there i want to talk about it very briefly here cuz i don't want to like recap too much but the idea was that to me it was a revelation because i felt like over many years uh respect for lucas had kind of dwindled yeah at least in the circles that we ran in yeah Whereas I was always like, the fucking guy brought me Star Wars, you know, like, <laughs> and Indiana Jones. And people would argue, well, like, he didn't write those for yeah, v- He's only volume. directed,
1: you know, THX, American Graffiti, and Star Wars. You I know, mean, and, then he did the, and then
0: he it. did the fucking the three, you know, prequels that most people don't like. And, yeah. and uh, it really was fascinating to see just, like, how much... Control he had over the development of Raiders and input, yeah, like yeah. he it really was. You know, it's good. Indy is this kind of character. This is what they're going to do. And every time Spielberg would be like, "Well, yeah, then we can do this." Maybe yeah, he, he Smokey's. Like, he's like, "Yeah, yeah, okay, Steve. Yeah, yeah, we'll <laughs> then, yeah. maybe, maybe we'll get yeah, to take that." Take a note of that. <laughs> and then what I found even most, even more interesting was his willing to his his willingness to let things go. Yeah. Which I thought was a really telling, to me, is a really telling sign of someone like intelligent yeah. and, you know, not to hold on to things. Be like, look, this is all the stuff I want in it. I realize we're not going to be able to fit all this shit in. But I'm going to tell you, this is like this is who Indiana Jones is. He's you know he spent time here, he spent time there. He's a master of this, and not all of this is going to be in the movie. But like this is what I'm thinking.
1: No, your backstory, you know. know,
0: And okay, like we can't fit a minecart into this movie we'll fit into the next one yeah. if we can't fit into this one. They movie. were thinking
1: of putting it when the, when he rides the U-boat and raiders back to that island, that somehow they were going to escape the whole end sequence they were going to find him. And that was where they were going to insert it, but it was going to just be too expensive, running into delays. And that goes back to what we learned in film school, is that they say that you know sometimes you got to kill your babies, in a sense, of yeah. like you could have a script or something you wrote, and there's something, a set piece, a character, whatever, you really like, but it's not affecting it's not helping the overall story so the 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 teaching used to always be that don't be afraid to kill your baby take something out because if it's going to be better if you just like it but it's not going to further the plot or the script or make the story or the idea better then you need to get rid of it jettison it which is they're doing
0: now you know from uh, everything that i've read in research it seems like lucas again it's like this is his baby yeah and even so much so that spielberg has said that you know, this is his least, his least favorite of, of the trilogy. Yeah. Uh, and that I've even had, like, I found a quote where he says in an interview, is like, you know, there's nothing of my own yeah. personal ideas. <laughs> and it's like nothing of myself in this yeah. movie. You know, the only thing, like the best thing that came out of it was that I met Kate Capshaw. <laughs> but, uh, you know, and in hindsight, it was like they talk about it like Lucas is like, well, we were both going through divorces. And I think that had a, a, a you know, or breakups. And I think that had a lot to do with like how dark we went with it. And there's all these, and apparently Lucas was very much for like, look, I want to Raiders was great, but I want to do like what we did with star Wars, which is the second installment is a bit darker. Like empire. So, you know, we have this fun adventure and then we go
1: to like this slightly
0: more darker adventure. And so, uh,
1: and there was an idea that Lucas always said, supposedly that Steven Spielberg relates that, the idea was always to have it to be a trilogy, and in his mind, Lucas said he had three stories. But then they did the first one, and the idea was Lucas always wanted Spielberg to direct the three. But Spielberg was blowing up, you know, of course, around this time he's making success after success. So it was paramount, no pun intended, that they keep Lu- uh, Spielberg to direct a three. But when they get to doing these sequels, Spielberg says they realized Lucas didn't have the idea for th- all three in his head. They had to start... BSing them to come out with the plots where we come to where we are now yeah so that's the idea of them having these script meetings I think we also should put into frame which we love talking about here is the Twilight Zone disaster because I brought <laughs> out the book, um, which we have in the Saturday Night's movie Sleepover Vaults. I had to yes. blow it off because sometimes we always have to come out and reference this bad boy called, uh, um, Outrageous Conduct by Stephen Farber and Mark Green. Came out like in the mid to late 80s, and there's info that I think is, uh, prevalent to what we're talking about now, uh, from right before we start shooting Temple of Doom. So we we've talked about it here a lot that twilight's on the movie they did a movie that came out in like 1983 and uh they were doing different installment by different directors It was going to be the live a- screen adaptation of the show and then john landis uh spielberg george miller george miller and joe dante, joe dante are all directing uh little vignettes or Which segments. we
0: talked about it with gremlins too
1: yes about that a month movie. ago or so yeah. so um because uh Joe Dante, Joe Dante, yeah, did a scene right, right out I was of that,
0: talking about how that. To this Gremlins. day I'm traumatized by both Gremlins 2 yeah. and, <laughs> and his Th- installment. In well, Center. the whole Twilight Zone the
1: movie for another a story for another day is very frightening for me. But what ends up happening, which we've talked about here, is in the John Landis sequence, uh, Vic Morrow was actually killed on set with two child actors, these two uh, Vietnamese actors in a sequence in the in the John Landis uh, story. So at the time. We have to put into perspective that St- Stephen, uh, and this is coming all out of this outrageous conduct, so there's no speculation on our part here, What the opinions we lay forth in the next couple minutes. The opinions in the book. If they are opinions in the book, and we're just throwing them out there. Um, Spielberg is one of the driving forces to get Twilight Zone made. If it's not because of him, the movie wouldn't have got done. You know, in his camp, he has Frank Marshall, who's on this movie, and he also has Kathleen Kennedy, who's on this movie, who people will know those names. Uh, you know, they're part of his camp. Once, and at the same time, uh, Spielberg was going to be doing the story uh, The Monsters Are Due on Maple Street, which is a very famous Twilight Zone skit where these aliens come down. And they just start messing with this one block on a Saturday afternoon. And this whole nice families are together. And they, you know, they're all very friendly, nice block parties. And stuff starts happening where like, the power goes out, this or that. And then before long, it's kind of like that riot paranoia mentality where by the end of it, people are turning on each other. They're, going, they're running around killing each other. And then at the end of the episode, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen it, they just pan back to the aliens. And the aliens are like, you know what? You know, all you got to do is take some of their stuff away and you know, they'll kill themselves. So this plan will be perfect for you know, whatever. So, he had big ideas about how he was going to do his little segment. He was going to have a child actor he had hired. He was doing preliminary stuff where he was going to have very freaky special effects with the aliens and stuff like that. So, he had a lot of planning up until this accident happens with John Landis. So, immediately Spielberg wants to get out of the project. And uh, I think it's Warner, whoever, like, no, you know, you have to fulfill your contractual obligations. Yeah, yeah. You have, yeah. You're contractually <laughs> obligated to do something in this movie. So he ends up picking like the best lighthearted one he can find. He finds a, a story called Kick the Can, which has Scatman Crothers in it, his version, which is from an old episode, and he only shoots. It takes six days for him to shoot. He, at this time, his head is no longer in the game, has nothing really wants to do with Twilight Zone. Uh, he's getting ready to go to the Far East to shoot Temple of Doom. So he even outsources some of his pre-pro, which is unheard of for him, to the script supervisor and the girl who Shadow wrote his script for this, who ends up being Harrison Ford's wife.
0: Yeah, who wrote E.T.
1: Yeah, exactly. He's coming off the heels of E.T. at this time as well. So he's doing press for E.T. You know, he's doing all this. E.T.'s the biggest thing since sliced bread. And then this happens. So... He is running out of time. He wants to get out of the country because he wants to go meet the queen at a certain date. He wants to get this filmed. So they start filming the day after Thanksgiving. People are upset about this, but he's like, I got, we have to get out of there. You know, the only thing in their office, Kennedy is just worried about what dress she's going to wear or whatever to meet the queen. They film this thing. Scatman sings a song that he wrote on set, whatever. And he's like, Spielberg's only doing like one or two takes. He's out. When the investigation starts happening about the uh, Twilight Zone accident, the police, law enforcement, prosecutors want to talk to Spielberg to want to know if Spielberg knew that John Landis was hiring illegally child actors to work at night, all this kind of a thing. And there's this big speculation here out of this book that Spielberg knew the whole time what was going on. But he became insulated by Frank Marshall and Kathleen Kennedy, where Frank Marshall became unavailable. So prosecutors were sending him subpoenas because they wanted to depose him under oath about what did you know, when did you know it, who else knew about it. But Frank Marshall, oddly, for these years, were out of the country. He was doing Emperor of the Sun. He was doing Temple of Doom. He was in London. So there was an old uh, thing that that goes that like better to to avoid a a subpoena than lie under oath. So they stayed out of it and didn't testify. and The lawyers agreed not to help the police because speculation is that they're worried that this would involve, it would taint Steven Spielberg. Steven Spielberg at this time is coming off of ET, he's gonna do this, and God forbid, if, if, if he's not insulated and there's a scandal that one, he knew about this, two, he knew that these kids were being hired illegally, he could potentially lose his uh, license to use kids in movies. And that doesn't really hurt John Landis because John Landis really doesn't hire child actors. But we look at Spielberg. Yeah. He's doing Goonies. He's doing fucking Emperor of the Sun. He's doing this. Gremlins. He's doing Gremlins. He's doing. He just did E. T. He's you know he he uses kid every movie he's got to have a kid. On, it. on the way. <laughs> On the way. Yeah. You know. So it's like that's big shit for him. So he never you know. So I just thought that's so he goes away as soon as this is done. He doesn't even do any press for for he only acknowledges in an interview once about you're evidently you're the 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 urban legend is you're not able to ask spielberg about that topic in interviews or he'll like you know walk off but he's only acknowledged it once and he said like you know at the end of the day nobody's Vision is worth dying for, and this is messed up, and it's tainted everybody on set. So they have this huge black cloud over them when they're going to Temple to do Temple of Doom. So they start, they they stay as physically and as proverbially away as possible while Landis is going through this huge court case involving this, and they go off to do. This. So getting roundabout way back to what you're saying is, I bet you this also played a big part on what's going on in his head yeah. now. That this, you know, he's he's kind of involved in this this huge scandal that ends up changing child labor laws and we can get into the whole thing uh, you and know when we, we get around to yeah. the Twilight Zone the movie. but I thought <laughs> this was uh, you know was kind of noteworthy for what's happening now sure. because especially since it's Frank Marshall and then uh, Kennedy, Kathleen Kennedy, who are also working on this project, yeah. you know, and they're trying to really insulate him, and they're talking about, well, you know, he's, you know, we, we keep him kind of in a cocoon, so maybe there's stuff he doesn't want to know, or is that worse, that he he was he didn't want to know, or did he know, and he just is what want you know, so, I bet you this goes into feeding on how dark this movie is when he's over there, you know, but at the same time, I can't see the other side of that argument, where people say, well, like, oh, I'm going through divorce, so that means my work at work is going to be much darker, you know, it's like,
0: well, I mean, there's a lot of, especially when it comes to horror movies, there's a lot of instances where you see, like, it's said that when Cronenberg made The Brood, okay. he was going through a divorce and a pretty ugly custody battle, allegedly. And that comes out in The Brood.
1: Yeah, it does, actually, if you think about the plot <laughs> of The Brood. <laughs> with those kids killing the and, woman? Uh, I
0: forget, I, I'm not even going to attempt to pronounce the guy's name, but there's the guy that made the movie uh, Possession? okay with sam neill yeah um and apparently that guy was going through a divorce when he wrote that movie and that movie's incredibly fun yeah i mean i love that movie but it is that is a very ugly depiction of of that's what's going on in that guy said so i can see i mean but those those are movies that where like the plot revolves around what's happening
1: yeah I mean, I'm not in any way saying when people go through terrible stuff like marital problems, divorce, like
0: in a bad place. Yeah, I mean, I would, you know, if it if any of the darkness related to this movie darkness has to do is related at all to the Twilight Zone thing, I would argue that if that's the case, then you'd think Spielberg would go way the other direction. You know what I mean? He would go. Like
1: happy kids. Well, that's what he did with <laughs> Kick the Can. He makes the happiest episode. But you he can think,
0: but you think, like a movie about kids instead of kids being whipped. <laughs> oh yeah, and treated, yeah. you know, child slaves. Yeah, you know, if, if 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 what's going on in that? If his mentality is any way uh, uh, shaped by this,
1: these by events, you would yeah. think
0: he would. It would not be about yeah child well, work, that's, child illegal child labor. <laughs> happening with slaves, you'd think it would go the other direction, but who knows? Yeah. I mean, the human mind works in weird ways. That's why I feel like it's weird that... I mean, you he, hear that. he pins everything on Lucas, yeah. and Lucas seems to also pin everything on himself. So it's hard to really judge from their point of view, at and least publicly. Yeah. None of it has to do with Spielberg, but who knows what the truth
1: and is. And we've never heard any... From what I've ever always read, it's always been attributed to, they were going through divorces each. He's divorcing his wife, and was his face divorce and the other? So I've never heard the correlation between the Twilight Zone. I just yeah, wanted to lay yeah. it out because that's what's happening it right seems before like they like leave. It's,
0: you know, at the very least, it, it is impacting the
1: production somehow. And it was huge. Even I mean, if when if that happened, not creatively, you know, Vic Morrow's was a huge major actor, father to Jennifer Jason Leigh, who's huge on um, uh, uh, Fast Times, Fast Times at Rizoma High at the time. So when this happened, it overwhelmed and dwarfed the movie itself. And you can go on YouTube and see every night, like Entertainment Tonight. There's like you know new new footage in the court case, or you know, and then now you can go see the footage of him getting killed. So that must have been you know before the internet. That was on everybody's mind, and that's why people went and to go see the movie. You know, are we going to see him die on film, or you know, what's yeah. going to happen? So it's weird to attribute the, the darkness in this movie to like the divorce, you know, and like come on, let's make it real darker because and I'm mad. And there's a cameo by Ackroyd who's which I for years you never get to see a cl- in close up you know so for years I never really I, I heard the voice first and I was yeah. like is that Dan Aykroyd and in the movie in the, in the uh, novelization which I didn't notice until this reading he recognizes Willie Scott because Willie Scott her background which we learned from the novelization her first name is I think Winifred or Wilhelmina I think it is and she grew up on a chicken farm in Missouri which she references she's from Missouri. I'm going to go home back to Missouri. But her mother was like I guess a real mean mother. She's grown up in the, you know, in the 20s and real her real mean mother. A real mean mother, mother. <laughs> and she, she said like um, uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm just talking about mom. Uh her mother growing up would say that uh, you know, she told her that there were no miracles. She belonged on the farm. So she ended up getting a big break in a beauty contest. And then she never looked back. Went to Chicago and then got involved with gangsters in Chicago and then at some point when the heat got too hot which would correlate with probably Capone going to jail and the end of prohibition in the the early 30s um, she then heard like hey you know if you want to take a trip and go out to China you can practically create you know uh, your way or your career and that's why she goes out to China and she's you know used to being driven around and high-end you know and which is something you see in real life people end up doing that and oddly enough she ends up playing again a character in Black Rain the Ridley Scott movie with Michael Douglas and Andy Garcia when they're in Japan they meet her she's a nightclub singer I think in Japan at that time and time then cast. yeah like, <laughs> I can't get any other kind of work <laughs> It can you only know?
0: be nightclub singers in Asian countries
1: yeah or uh, being in that movie dream she's in dreamscape you know she's she's got a very small for me at least the candidate of acting uh, so why did we bring her up Missouri to her backstory so, you know, uh, uh, I don't know how we got on her character singing anything. Going, I don't know. What, what, what we I do
0: think it's funny though when you hear interviews with a lot of it, and I'm not saying I'm not singling out women. I just, to my recollection, I remember them at least either women are more vocal about it or it's just what I hear or, uh, or remember, which is, I feel like I always hear women talking about how they didn't want to do the part because they were, they were serious actresses. Yeah. And then they like Sigourney Weaver didn't want to do Alien because yeah, she was it's like s- beneath her. Yeah.
1: And it ends up being, it always ends up being like the one that the, makes their. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what she says here. She's kind of like, all I did was scream in it. But it's like, I look at this, see, this is me going against a lot. I will get into like the controversy if this is offensive. And I'm not saying it isn't. But it's like, for, I think she does a great job in this movie because she plays of that era. This is going back to those send-ups. of... Yeah, I mean
0: it's an homage to a specific
1: thing. Yeah, seri- the serials of that. So that's where you get some of that silly. And of course, comedy. there
0: were at the time there were like movies with femme fatales and stuff. But yeah, there was also like the damsel in
1: distress was the, was a yeah. trope. And she's f- the def- and I find it, I don't see her com- character like two dimensional. I think it's like she's almost like this rich, you know, rich girl now, not her upbringing. Uh, I think in novelization she's between twenty and twenty five years old. But she's used to these high-end things, so when she gets stuck in this thing with Indy, she's, like, disgusted by it. But you could tell there's more there. She's just, you know, she's so overwhelmed. She's complaining. It becomes funny. And then they also wanted, they were thinking about bringing back Marion from Raiders. But then they decided they didn't, you know, they were going to maybe think about bringing her back and her father, who they end up doing in Crystal Skull. Uh, but then they decided, no, let's go to the complete opposite. So that's another reason why they end up taking a cap capshaw. Uh, Kate Capshaw and, and doing, having her dire hair blonde and so she's the polar opposite of Marion where Marion's a strong female where Kate Capshaw just as much is but it's from a different kind of point of view yeah. where she has to be kind of taken care of first or she has to you know finally hit her limit before she's able to become like that femme fatale to stick up and save the day or you know it's, it may, it's played for comedy but it certainly fits I think the bill of that era and in the movie itself
0: yeah, totally. You know? I mean, that's so much of it is I mean, it's unfortunate, but I mean um, that you know, there are things especially uh, by today's standards would be considered offensive. Yeah. But it it's also like I said, one, it's made at a time that's a little less strict about PC stuff. But it's, it's also like two years ago.
1: <laughs> but it's also Sending up to yeah, o- o-
0: it's also homage. It's also paying tribute and homaging to if the if, oma- if homage is the word, yeah, or, yeah. <laughs> to a, a a time and a place and a type of cinema
1: where like th- this was Common anything play. goes, yeah, <laughs> da- 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 <laughs> you know. And this might be a good also point to bring up the 1939 movie you referenced before, Gunga Din. Yeah. We didn't say the title which has in it uh, Cary Grant, uh, uh, Joan Fontaine, and uh, even... Fairbanks Jr. Yeah, Douglas Fairbanks Jr. Jr., Where that's a movie where people nowadays, there's a contingent that find that very offensive against Indians and stuff like that. But the other argument, if you read online, is people like, yeah, if you're going to be the PC police and look at it that way, but if you know you're... If you look past that and you look at the put put your nostalgia cap on, watch it for the air it came out and and watch it for the themes. The the title is based on the Indian man that the movie is about, the water bearer. But then at the end of it, they he's a hero. Who's a hero and he saves the day. He saves all the, the the people in it, and then they end up you know posthumously awarding him this this rank in the military, and he becomes this hero in the movie. So it's like. Only the indigenous person could save the stupid, you know, people in it. You know, the white man or whatever. Yeah. So there's a lot in that. And the reason we bring that up is that there's, like we talked about with The Secret of the Incas, the Charles, the Charlton Heston movie that's kind of related uh, to Raiders of the Lost Ark. There's this movie, Gunga Din, has some plot similarities or just themes with the, the thuggy so and the kali. Yeah,
0: It was be- It was a movie that they that uh Hewick and, and Katz and probably Lucas and Spielberg look to for inspiration. Um
1: it's it Because of the top I I would think because of the uh the plot of being yeah. in India.
0: Well I mean not only just India but it there it involves unfortunately it takes Yeah. Uh, over an the movie's like about two hours. Yeah. It takes over an hour before it gets <laughs> to, to like what's happening it's weird because talking
1: about Den, not teblat do i feel like it's 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 setting up like the it's like the idea because there's a there's a sequence in it which i didn't realize till it ends where when the, the they get ambushed and they have to fight for their lives and they're throwing dynamite like when that's over you're like wow it's like i bet you people came for repeat viewings just to see the action where they're jumping to camera they're yeah. jumping off you know but it takes it's like they're brawling. They're, they're army buddies. Um, it's it's, this, it's about the, the there's British. a lot of setup. I yeah. mean, there
0: is literally more than half the movie is set up yeah. for what's going to be this finale.
1: Which is and it's also like a side plot almost where it's yeah. like they're in Somebody's India getting
0: married.
1: And... Yeah, there, there's a, there's the British Empire. Uh, you know, they were still ruling over the. It was part of their empire in India, and then it's these three soldiers there: uh, Cary Grant, Fair, Fairbanks, and another guy. They're best friends, and it's them. You know, just screwing around. McLagland. Yeah. And the, the story is just them all screwing around being army buddies getting in trouble. And then Fairbanks wants to leave the army because he's found Joan Fontaine. He wants to marry. And the other guys are like, no, you know, we're it's it reminds me there's a Kurt Vile song called Cannon Song. And it reminds me that's anti-war. But it reminds me of that where these guys are just like, you know, for the army, you know, it's like, you know, they're just singing the song and they're walking yeah. down. It's very pro, you know, it's 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 because it's weird because it's you got to remember the time it was shot night 39 where we were with cinema and action sequences so you have scenes where some stuff sped up you know what they can do with special effects and stuff so you got to take all that when you look at this movie but the side plot of all that is more
0: more importantly how it relates to temple of doom is that the character of gunga den who's a
1: water bearer in india tells cary grant's character Archibald Cutter, I think yeah. is his character's name. Which is, the irony is his real name is Archibald Leach. Who's? Cary Grant.
0: And Cary Grant's character is, you know, looking for, he's like a an adventure treasure hunter in his mind. Yeah. They op- the movie, op- we introduced to him because he bought a bogus map to go find treasure. And they're beating up the people that sold him the map.
1: Now, have you ever seen it? Yeah. Okay. I had seen it years ago, and I rewatched it for this viewing. And it's, it's, Young Cary Grant playing like a cockney. It's, it's you know, you, you don't get this. You always remember Cary Grant for his more established movies, but it's great to see him or Jimmy Stewart playing these movies when they're younger. Yeah. And it's so funny seeing him being this bare-knuckle brawler. You know what <laughs> I mean? The thre- you know it, Always f- punching from the side. Yeah, a lot of punching from the side or punching up the uppercut. Yeah. You know, so... And uh,
0: so Gunga Din tells Cary Grant's character that there's this palace and that there's gold.
1: Yeah, it's his abandoned... Temple yeah. out somewhere he only knows where it is and he could take Cary Grant there and Cary Grant's like shit if I can find this we can really but it's almost like the the the, the guy who cry wolf he's telling so many times and they're like oh we don't believe you he's telling his friends yeah yeah you know but, but then the subplot is the 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 Cali but it's and the also thuggy. like it
0: starts to relate to Temple of Doom and that there's this supposedly an abandoned temple uh you know there's the whereas Indy ends up giving the stones back it the temple of doom opens that like the plot almost starts with he's like fortune and glory yeah like the, indy's kind of greedy at the beginning at least his mindset whereas that's exactly what cary grant's looking for is fortune and glory. yeah but so they go to this temple and when they get there we find the thuggy yeah which is the cult from temple of doom
1: who worship the same indian god kali yeah which is all I think based on historical... There, there is a Kali God. Yeah. But the Kali God is very different. It's not a... This, you know... And we have
0: uh, we have a rope bridge.
1: We have a rope bridge. We have
0: them spying on a ceremony, which is also more of just like them planning to... to take over the world. To take, well, like to, to, yeah, to, be, to kill the uh, English army. So there's a lot of these set pieces that um, are not exactly in Temple of Doom. But how why I said it's kind of an unofficial um, sequel sequel is that when at the infamous dinner scene of Temple of Dome uh, and they're talking about how the, the, the palace was an important part during the
1: British of oh, the massacre. The, yeah, yeah, blah, yeah. Blah, blah, blah. And then, and-
0: Indy's like, well, you know, what's interesting about the palace if we go back even a century from there, we're, t- we're talking about the thuggy and then there's a the talk about the thuggy and the British officer,
1: uh, Philip Stone, who, who is um, from the Kubrick movies. And he played uh, Philip Blumbert. Blumbert, who has Captain. a bigger part in the novelization we can get to.
0: He says, oh, the thuggy were horrible. They did uh, human sacrifice, but, w- but they were you know, like squashed by the British army. Yeah. And so it's thought that he's... Referencing. He's referencing what happens in Gunga Din. So it takes... So Temple of Doom is happening within the same universe as Gunga Din. And when he says that, he's actually talking about
1: Gunga Din. The three of them. And the the plausibility, if they were to remake this movie, Gunga Din, it's scary because it's the, the, the British outpost in India. And then all of a sudden, the next town over gets wiped out. And this is the thuggy cult. And then slowly you know when they're the they're, they're stumbling upon this plot and then the the thuggy are kind of like on the peripheral until uh, Cary Grant is led to the temple and he uh, accidentally stumbles on one of their meetings it's like it's kind of scary how they're portrayed all in white and you know you know they're you know it's like and you know it you could make the argument that you know who are you rooting for in this movie the indigenous people taking back their land from the colonialists or is it the people who are looking at it like oh they're Taking the land back because they want to rule the world because they're evil, yeah, you know. Yeah. So there's a lot of like idea there. You know, the, of course, the Indian the Indian people were mad about the movie being played. There's a lot of people, uh, which is at the time, you know, people are in, in painted up in not blackface but like in brownface. A lot of the people playing Indians are Caucasians, yeah. but that's either here nor there. Yeah. So it's it's there interesting. Pl- there
0: wasn't a plethora of Indian actors yeah, in 1939, exactly in,
1: in Hollywood to, to, to find to, to do this thing. So. It is interesting to look at it from those points of view that that when they eradicate this in the battle at the end this thuggy and Kali and Kali in real life uh, is the goddess it's supposed to be the goddess of change and empowerment you know like she doesn't destroy she always she, she she always does something positive so yeah. that's why Indians took kind of umbrage with Yeah the, but at the, the same
0: time I mean history is unfortunately riddled with factions of people doing horrible things in the name of Of religion of just religion you know of like positive religion doing negative things in the name of it so i mean just because i mean i could see an argument that like okay this extremist cult is kind of you know taking the wrong view on Kali. (laughs) Well, oh who, yeah, who, yeah, it's. it's, I, it's a but, it, vo- but it could be
1: an isolated thing <laughs> of this extremist cult. You know? I, I remember why I brought up uh, Cap, Kate Capshaw's her, character. her backstory because we were talking about Twilight Zone. We talked about Dan Aykroyd being in this. Oh yeah, and then I was going to say, long roundabout way, as in the movie, he recognized Oh, aren't you the popular vote? You're Willie Scott, the popular vocalist. Yeah. So it's like she is famous enough that people recognize her, and this guy stationed. You know, he's a British guy stationed in wherever they are, Shanghai. You know, he's going to recognize her out of the blue. So that's why I brought her backstory up of who she was and all that. So that's Gunga Din, which uh, I think, if you're a fan of Cary Grant or that era, is definitely worth watching. It's fun. It's I, it's a long, slow burn.
0: Yeah. I mean, I know? knows Cary Grant's like one of my favorite actors. Yeah. So I've seen, you know, the bulk of his catalog. But I would warn anybody that goes to it, like, comfy (laughs) yeah and then know what it literally is it's like almost like a two-act play yeah and unfortunately the first act there's there's a lot of funny comedy and stuff in it i mean it's totally worthwhile but what it doesn't get rolling into like this adventure uh involving like the thuggy and the cult and everything until over the halfway
1: part and it's kind of Interesting, the similarities like that, you know, the, the the high priest there, that guy who's kind of frightening, who's a character actor of the day, and then them meeting at the temple at night, and then they're they're not sacrificing. I mean, they brought in the from the Aztec the the screenwriters yeah. for the Temple of Doom. They Temple brought in of Doom the,
0: kind of incorporates a lot. I'm like the voodoo dolls, yeah, and,
1: which, is voodoo, which is voodoo, which is Haitian and you know, uh, you know, African, and then you have the uh, the Hawaiian sacrificing kind of an aspect, or the Hindu Aztec or I'm sorry the Aztec aspects so they bring a lot of mishmash of religions to make their Kali and uh it's and great it's yeah of yeah. scary thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that makes them into a uh, you know <laughs> the, a, a, adopts it into a practice you know which i guess could be conceivable because you know zombies zombie yeah zombies and that's another thing where they were going to make the zombies be a little more um zombies with superhuman powers in the script that they turned down but you look at um you know voodooism and hoodooism coming from Africa i mean when it when when uh, you know, indigenous people from Africa were brought here for slaves by the Spanish or whoever down in the islands, they met Christianity and then the mix of them hitting hardcore Christianity was how you got a lot of the aspects of the voodoo and Hoodooism that we know today as the voodoo and the Jamaican kind of stuff and Haitian... Hoodoo, voodoo man Yeah, hoodoo-voodoo-man. So you could conceivably see if something, the Christians are bringing aspects of their religion to, to India, you know, the British, that maybe that's where some of the crossover, you know, happens. But... That's Gungadin, uh, and it's interesting that it does. They do lean on some of the aspects that it could be, you know, homage or, like you're saying, it could be kind of a sequel. Where yeah. Phil Stone, who is in The Shining, he's in Barry Lyndon, he's in Clockwork Orange, is kind of like a movie that I like a lot called The Medusa Touch. The Medusa, he's in The Medusa <laughs> Touch, The porno, The Medusa Touch. Uh, he has a bigger part in and in the. We can, we can. I guess we'll go as we go as we go along. But you know, you have the scene of in the nightclub setting up this big musical sequence, which in watching, you know, they, they were talking about having it be a big Buzzley Berkeley opening number. It's also, Gunga
0: opens with the credits is the, a guy hitting this giant gong. Yeah. And so that's a little homage at the beginning of Temple of Doom is a little and homage a cool, to
1: that as well. And it's a cool title sequence where it, every time they hit the gong, it's like a ripple in a water and it changes the titles. And I guess it's it was reused for, or recycled from King Kong maybe. That's the footage of when they're introducing Kong or whatever. But... They have this huge musical number that opens Temple of Doom, and it's funny because when it starts, you see her come out and she's singing in Mandarin, anything goes, and then she's only got like, you know, five or six dancers on either side, but then it goes into this elaborate thing where it becomes this huge musical sequence where there's, you know, 40 or 50, you know, uh, dancers around her, and you wonder, as in this viewing, I'm thinking, oh, is this like what she's imagining in her head? You know, that in actuality, she's just on stage with a half a dozen, like Chinese or Asian actresses or dancers. But then in her head, she's doing this huge, buzzly Berkeley. Which, you which know. is funny
0: because she's not in that, those parts. Yeah.
1: So maybe she's imagining. Because there was, allegedly, she,
0: the number was going to be, I mean, we can get into the genesis of the number, but she was going to have a, she was going to, da- she learned to dance for it. Yeah. Tap All this choreography and for it. Learning manuals. And then when she put the dress on. The dress was so tight that she couldn't do any of the dance moves, so all her dance stuff got cut. Yeah. Where you'd think if you're going to go into this fantasy k- sequence where the scope of it opens up, that she she could they could have put her in a different outfit. Yeah, or something so I think similar. Maybe they were just like maybe she wasn't good at it. <laughs> yeah. I'm speculating <laughs> that maybe she wasn't so great at it, and they're like, you know what, the dress is a little too tight. And you the,
1: can't do it. The dress they designed, they they had uh, whoever designed I mean, it.
0: I mean that joking
1: yeah of course they had this dress that they they were they had vintage beads and stuff sequins from the 20s and 30s so they manufactured this outfit for her and there was it was a a -a one-of-a-kind dress uh to look authentic of the time but then what ends up happening is they don't shoot the opening sequence till the end of the shooting schedule so they have her holding the dress while she's in the indian scene in india scenes but then When they have it in the background, they leave it there in different takes. I guess one of the elephants was eating, you know... Like ate the back out of the dress. (laughs) So they can't replace the sequence or the beads because they're all... So they had to do some quick, you know, like, uh, I would say stapling, some sewing. Some poor PA
0: is going through... Elephant dung. I
1: found one. <laughs> yeah. You know, and then they're able to um you know push it together for this sequence at the beginning, and then they had to write an accident report or the insurance form, and they had to put uh, what's the cause of the insurance claim? It's because the elephant ate it. So uh you have the opening sequence, which I've always loved. Again, it's like you set up that like Indy is a man of mystery. Indy also, it's really like you're saying this fortune glory thing. He's not above threatening a girl. He threatens. He grabs Willie and using her as a bargaining chip, even though he doesn't know... He knows she's involved with Shea, but he doesn't know anything beyond if she's a good or evil person. Yeah. He's, he's, you know, threatening to stab her. Later on in that sequence, he sucker... I don't, I don't know if he knows, that he, he just turns around, but he knocks out a cigarette girl. Yeah, yeah. You know, so it's like, you, you know, it, maybe it's the calamity of the... You know, he's in the moment, he doesn't realize he, who he's punching. But so it's like you, you get these characteristics of Indy where it's like, you know... Uh, well, I mean, it's very much a... I mean the
0: scene is great for many reasons one it sets up the uh the like the mystique the, or the-, the, the hyper reality of what the movie is gonna be yeah it's gonna be like this fun rollicking you know adventure and it sets it up with this music number which already puts you in a place where like anything can happen you know like it's you know this bubsy berkeley style thing there's a little element of fantasy it's fun so it's it's already setting the pace plus you get like indie and the white tux jacket it's definitely you know there's no it's no secret that uh how this movie came about how raiders came about was that spielberg really wanted to make a james bond movie yeah and Lucas was like, Fuck James Bond. Yeah. What about this idea? I got this idea about this thing. Indiana Smith. <laughs> and he's like, Yeah, okay. So it's you get to see Indiana Jones in William a little Bond. bit yeah. of a Bond character. Yeah. You know, he's a little like you said, he's a little bit of a man of mystery. He's suave. Comes in. You know, it's that some intrigue happening in this there's Yeah, like an
1: exchange and, and I love I mean it's the, the, there's an authenticness to like on the table the lazy Susan that you know and certainly that's in Susan. Japan she's, yeah, so yeah, she's so fucking lazy how lazy is <laughs> he how lazy is she? Lazy is <laughs> she? that motherfucker is so lazy that she puts a thing on her and just turns ooh that's lazy oh lazy Susan <laughs> imagine how lazy that's Susan like had mad, to be it was like a match game yeah
0: thing. exactly
1: <laughs> Susan yeah, she so lazy. Rayburn. she puts her blank and her blank <laughs> Radar, what do you think? Well, <laughs> they're all just, Jack Klugman, <laughs> my wife's here. Uh, so you get Lao Shea, who to me when I was little, I, I don't know, I always thought it was a Mifune for some reason, but it's not. Mm. But to me, like now, I'm a big Charlie Chan fan, so he looks like the original actor Warner Olin, who played Charlie Chan. You also get the idea of, again, we, you don't get it so much in Raiders, but... We talked about it again in Nauseam and other casts were like a big thing of the old serials because people talk about how they think Short Round's kind of racist and we can get to that later on, but it's like a Thank huge... You. <laughs> get to that later <laughs> on. You get to the racist
0: though, we'll just keep pushing that back.
1: Yeah, but it's like well, when we hit that bridge, but it's like a, a big, big part of the pulp era of there was the was the orient was like Fu Manchu, Charlie Chan, Mr. Moto, Mr. Wong. These are all... Fucking char. These are all <laughs> real... Chan. Know, there was... There, exactly. There was a... There was a Charlie Chan series. Peter Lorre played Mr. Moto. Uh, Boris Karloff played Mr. Wong. How many people are gonna get <laughs> yeah. that reference? Fucking Charlie Chan. <laughs> I got Madonna's big dick coming out of my left here and I got fucking Charlie... I don't know what's coming out of my right. <laughs> I ain't paying you, fucks. So... uh. That would like the, the mysterious orient that we've talked about in nausea before. It plays a big role in these kind of movies. So, so it's great to see Indy in this kind of like he's in Shanghai, he's doing this dealing. It's this big gangster, this, this like Chinese Shanghai Hong Kong gangster wants the remains back of, of the uh, what you learn in the you know, since he's like the number one Al Capone gangster, it's the last dynasty. That, the, that, you know, the China ever had. So he wants the remains in this little thing of... And it's like it's like almost a collectible. Yeah. You know, it's a signal power. I have, like, it's like I have, you know, fucking uh, John Wal- George Washington's... You never know. Could be some
0: serpentor shit. Yeah, exactly. He's like, uh, <laughs>
1: soon, Dr. Mindvender will bring... will invent the technology to this I command. So and then you have his two sons, and I love the whole sequence with again you have the waiter he's kind of like a number one son uh you know key luke to charlie chan you know where he's and then i love the backstory about that you know where you, i mean you don't know you don't learn any of it but it's like you know where he gets killed and he's like you know i go on many adventures with you this one i go on alone you know it's like oh it's so sad he dies yeah, in his yeah. arms then the whole sequence with him the antidote for the poison you know. And then there's a sequence where he needs to you know it's, the poison the you just drank dr jones so it's Very funny, like it turns into we have these Spielberg tropes where it's like, um, you know, uh, setting this up or that up with the payoff, and you know, you see the antidote rolling around, and then he's trying to get the the diamond. Evidently, is in a prequel to a uh, any Young Indiana Jones Adventures episode where there's one where I guess he's in World War One and he's looking for this diamond. So that's pretty cool that they incorporated that into the show. So much, I I know. We should do a special on that. You know, talk about the young Indian. I like how chronicles. like
0: it was originally the concept was they're going to take the little kid and the
1: teenage. Yeah. And as soon sooner as they were, like, nobody gives a shit about the little kid. Yeah, yeah, just fuck that. <laughs> yeah we don't have River Phoenix anymore. Who cares? You know. And the idea in there is you learned that like Indy was probably born around 1900. So if you use that as a barometer, then you know he's like 35 or 36 during these movies. You know that's why it ends up working perfectly. He's 17 or 18 during World War One. You know. Yeah. Um So. You know, he's looking to get this diamond, and then once he gets out of there, he gets the potion, he lands in this car, and then you have, like I said, um, what's his face? Short round steals the car from a German diplomat. It's a 1934 uh, Duesenberg Auburn convertible in the book. I think it's something different. We can look later in the for the for the movie but it's a very popular car at the time and i love to me it's like you know those matte paintings of of the chinese streets are so it's so and then there's a big I shootout know. I love matte you know matte
0: yeah they they're just so gorgeous it's
1: just such a forgotten era in this big and it's so funny like how do they get rid of his gun he has her hold the gun and she throws it out the window these are things like when i was little i was laughing at it. he's like where's my gun she's like you know because it was hot and i broke it and there. i broke on ale. Oh, you know and he's, and he's putting his hand down you know and it, and then yeah. all these great one liners that uh short round has like you call him Dr. Jones doll hold on to your potatoes Duh, no time for love Dr. Jones and people call this racist i mean you know and you can call anything anything and i'm not judging or whatever but it's like for me it's like well he's a it's not like it's a kid in white and yellow face playing him yeah, you yeah. know it's an asian a chinese actor it's his first movie the kid uh who goes on to being goonies and stuff and he has a kind of a kind of a role with Spielberg in that. But it's like I feel to me, I, you know, it's it's in the mo- in the book, it, there's an emphasis where he looks at Indiana Jones as his dad and he, he glams on to Indy because Indy's so cool. Indy caught him pickpocketing. He became befriended him. We, I think they bring it up in the movie that his, his parents died when he was at the age of four during the Shanghai bombings that Japanese were bombing the Chinese. So he's always looking at like Indy's going to bring him back to bring him back with him to America. And America is, you know, like how he Yankee's
0: cap yeah, on.
1: He loves American cinema. He's always referencing all this stuff I've already said, you know. And then during the movie when when he when they bring Willie Scott in, he starts hanging back thinking, oh, would Willie Scott be a good mom for me? Like, she's, she. they seem like they have a good chemistry, so she could be a good surrogate mom. So very quickly, he starts looking at them as like the parents he never had, you know, and Indy's his dad. So by the end of it, he's doing things like Indy would do. And you kind of see that near the end of the movie when you see the, the duality of like, you know, Indy punching somebody yeah, and then yeah. they rack focus and he's punching somebody or him wearing the Indiana Jones hat. So you get a feeling where like... He loves Indy, but at the end of the day, he's like, Indy, you're still going to take me back to America, right? You know, I'm going to be able There is also,
0: and I think in that scene where he's saying he's wearing the hat, there's like, you know, Spielberg does this in with Jaws. Yeah. When Roy Scheider's sitting at the table and his son's like,
1: you know, m- oh, yeah, doing mind- the, mimicking yeah. him, mirroring him. That's it's another, th- like, a little theme that, that Spielberg yeah. does. Yeah.
0: It so, must have been something that Spielberg... I wouldn't be surprised if it was something that, like, Spielberg did. As a kid, when he was with his dad or something, or he—it's like. he, something he recognized, like yeah. young
1: kids do, as like almost a save the cat kind of I, thing. You know, to go along with
0: you're saying, you know, obviously, like you said, you know, if you find it offensive, you find it offensive, and that's fine. But like, I don't, you know, I don't think Spielberg was went to the kid and was like, you know, talk in broken English. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, the kid w- was Asian. You know, that's how the kid talked, I think. Yeah. You know, it wasn't like an offensive, fake, you know, exaggerated accent. I think the kid just talked that's how he spoke English because English wasn't his first language.
1: And for people who are a certain age when this movie came out, people still remember the Charlie Chan movies where Charlie Chan was the detective and he had his number one son or number two son who would help him solve the crimes. So it's funny that you have an indie, you know, well, not funny, but you see why Indy is over in China or in Asia and he has with him, a, 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 you know, he's a kid. That's funny because of the comedy there that yeah. it's not, a, but it's a kid navigating him through this world. It's, you know, I've always loved when when they go through the, the the convertible top, he's got like blocks under his feet to drive the car. Mm-hmm. And how cool! Every kid wanted to drive a car like that when you're little, like that. And then they get away. And The
0: kid is never a liability, and the kid never. And also, like he's he.
1: They're like equal on equal footing, like and he's he, smart. It's never demeaning. You never feel like it's a it's a. He's the voice where, of
0: reason in a lot of circumstances. Yeah, he, like in a lot of ways. It's a strong. Portrayal. depiction of the well,
1: uh, Asian character. Not to, to go down this road, because this is a conversation for a different day, but for me, that was the issue with the Charlie Chan movies. People look back and say, that, that cinema is racist or whatever, but if you look at how they were conceived, you had a lot of bad blood going on with the Fu Manchus and the stereotypes. Aside from Charlie Chan himself not being played by an Asian American or an Asian actor at the time... You had people playing him, but it was always very, very positive. There's never any mention of you know, him being his ethnicity. He's always regarded all over the world, wherever he goes, as he's the renowned detective. There's a lot of respect. And it helped further that positive reinforcement of the Asian community. You know, So aside from there are aspects of with African-American, Birmingham Brown or Steppen Fetcher that are in there as comic relief yeah. that you can deem as racist. But even sometimes there... Which is, I don't want to get controversial, but I even feel like you look at those movies where sometimes the actor in the scene is playing the ignorance up, and then the lead character leaves the scene, and the actor is left with the audience watching, and then they become, you know, they're just, it was an act. Yeah. And the joke is on the lead character in the movie because that person doesn't really talk like that. Only in the presence of Joe Bloat is he, you know. So there's a level of that going on, too. You know what I mean? Like, there was a review for. Temple of
0: Doom, where the reviewer compares Short Round's character to Mickey Rooney in *Office uh, of Tiffany*,
1: which is, I think, a completely unwarranted comparison. And,
0: and look, I fully acknowledge this is coming from the standpoint of an ignorant white male. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but it doesn't seem to me like you said. I agree. Like to me, it doesn't seem like a, a valid comparison. I can come to me. I, can... I mean, I could be wrong, and I would be. I'm totally fine with you know. Having someone explain to me why I'm wrong, if if that's the case, I, I'm. But to
1: me, it's like it does. I, I don't see it. And you can admit, like I can. I I can completely see why someone would interpret Mickey Rooney's portrayal of the Japanese man in yeah. *Inferno* as being offensive. It has a lot of tropes and stereotypes. <laughs> Look,
0: Anybody who watched *Dragon* the Bruce Lee story can see why. <laughs> exactly. You know why that could be. Bruce
1: didn't like it. I don't like it. Yeah. So you could put here. It's it's a a Chinese. Uh, actor playing the part he's i think like you said he's he's very he's the one who's almost like the envoy the he knows the country so he's not ignorant he's the one telling a lot of people uh, in the novelization he's there's a lot of religious references he's very much into the the chinese religion of the different lower gods and stuff so there's a lot of references to that like i said before about him looking as um India is a reincarnation of that lower god of treasure or whatever. So there's a lot of references of of praying to Chinese gods to help him get out of situations or this or that. So I feel like there is a a certain amount of respect to everything there. And it explains why he knows American English because of the culture. We brought up on one of the podcasts about um, uh, Harold Lloyd. Remember, why don't you relate quickly since we're here and who knows who's listened to it in two sentences that... Chinese stereotype, you know, with his glasses, which the, I found the, fascinating. The
0: circular glasses, apparently, the circular glasses that we think of, especially in the old Chinese uh, Asian stereotypes of like cartoons and and film and, and television, the big, or, or big, big thick, thick round th- glasses, yeah, probably even before television. But those big thick round uh, glasses comes apparently comes from the fact that, of course, if any kind of cinema was going to do well internationally, it was going to be silent cinema, because there's not a language barrier with silent cinema and apparently Harold Lloyd who was known for wearing these circular black-framed glasses and even his
1: hair kind of that way was a stereotyped way
0: was a big hit in asian countries and so those glasses were adopted as a fashion statement because of the success of
1: Harold Lloyd. <laughs> yeah, P, they loved them so much they started dressing and like them, I mean, And it's then it's weird because then It reverts it's, into a stereotype. Because then it,
0: it's odd because it has nothing to do with Asian culture. It has to do with American culture, yeah. and Hollywood, and, and popular culture of Hollywood. And then that becomes an Asian culture... Uh, stereotype because of uh, you know it's it's a weird circular yeah (laughs) kind of kind of thing
1: so I I mean I feel like a lot of these movies if you look at them which we we've said before if you look at it out of today's if you start judging things by today's standards which opens the door to other things yes it's just hard you need to know the context of when a lot of this stuff came out of what's going on and then in this case the context of the things that it's it's like a send up to or yeah, you know like or, a, or, so, or a reference of yeah that it's referencing you know there's the republic uh, company serials of the era you know it, it's it's just a you know about the guy whose hat never comes off on the horse no matter what he does the cowboy that's what indy is you know indy you know Look,
0: we get into some hard-hit and controversial topics yeah we unfortunately, will unfortunately some people don't like it <laughs> don't don't yeah, like it and, and so bunny ears and then and, and we've or earmuffs <laughs> bunny ears earmuffs, i mean bunny ears. <laughs> and, and we've and we've been called Bad Yeah, because of uh, our falling
1: down episode. Because of things like our falling down episode. <laughs> and we, episodes. again, we don't... So
0: we, we, I, I, I so apologize ahead of time if, if anything we say is, revolving... Yeah, is insulting. Uh, is considered uh, insulting or ignorant on our
1: part. Yeah, we're but. just trying to lay out... We're not trying to really make so much points. We're just laying out the arguments and the, the observations here. I mean, I guess since we're here, we can talk about the dinner sequence. The dinner sequence, a lot of people took offense of, especially uh, Indian people from india because you know it's it's oh my you know there's no cuisine that r- remotely looks like a lot even of that. as
0: a kid though to be honest even as a kid like i never thought of it as indian cuisine
1: yeah neither did i it's for me it's the because they're at this crazy temple
0: they're at this crazy temple that you this have, is happening have what i always assumed I mean, you know you may
1: not even remember when i was little i might have even made the connection that they're in india They're just some place. I probably didn't either. You know what I mean? There's just some, there's some Some miscellaneous. Yeah. They could be in Nepal. They could be like in Sri Lanka where they filmed it. You know, I don't, but
0: also even if you did know it was India, I guess in my head. And even now, like I've always thought, even though I guess you can say like, well, like it's clear that that's not the case. I've always thought like, okay, you have like this British soldier, you have Indiana Jones, you have short round, you have Willie. Like I never put that. Like this was an Indian dinner. Like, it seemed to me that...
1: a traditional... Like, this
0: was, like... Although, it never even occurred to me that everybody else at that dinner was Indian. Yeah. Like you said, I never even made two and two... Put two and two together that it was Indian to begin with. But it always seemed to me that it was, like, this culturally diverse... Yeah. ...dinner. And maybe... And that's me just... blindly (laughs) reading into something that could arguably not been there. But it was just, like, these are weird dishes that... You know what? A lot... Some of those dishes are... Probably. Consider delicacies, yeah. you know, like, unfortunately, like, people fucking eat monkey brains. Yeah, yeah. Certain places. And they get that <laughs> crazy
1: know, uh, cannibal syndrome or whatever it is, or Ebola. there are cultures that eat insects. Yeah. I mean, it's not. I th- and, and here they're going for more of the gross-out effect. And, like, Hindus in particular got offense because Hindus eat very little meat. Uh, if they do, they eat it on special occasions, and they only really, they don't. They don't eat eggs, and they usually just eat, like, maybe milk or maybe cheese or something like that. So they got mad that this is stuff we're not eating. This is not our culture. In the book, they make the point in the novelization, uh, and I read the novelization before rewatching the movie, and to get back to a question you might not have asked me at the beginning, but I haven't seen this movie probably two in 20 years. So it's it's fun coming back and having the thoughts of me looking back at it, remembering it from high school or elementary school. So... Uh, I have a note here it says that you know eating at the dinner scene they got the idea that it was the impression is that the the food is being served was to do it to shock them on purpose in the when they're trying to rationalize it you have the actor um, Roshan Seth who plays the guy who to me the movie looks more and more like John Turturro the the, (laughs) you know the (laughs) Indian ambassador yeah you know who and at at the end you end end up realizing that he's part of it as well that he talks about him getting the role he got a lot of flack for being this movie and and the the stereotypes but he even lays out saying that the joke was so subtle that a lot of audiences didn't get it that uh, you know and he says quote the banquet scene was a joke that went wrong I got a lot of, a great deal of flack because of people kept saying, how does an intelligent man like you agree to be in a movie which shows Indians dining on beetles and eels? Stephen intended it to be a joke, the joke being that Indians were so fucking smart that they knew all Westerners think that Indians eat cockroaches, so they served them what they expected, and the joke was too subtle for the film, unquote. So that's supposed to be the intention there is and I think it's the gross out value they're in this mystical I mean to me it's legendary we talk about exposition through action they had to get through all the backstory about the thuggy and the collie the first idea was they were going to have this big tiger hunt And Spielberg's like, I ain't gonna go fucking shoot a tiger hunt. I'm not gonna
0: be in, and wherever we're shooting, I'm not gonna be there long enough to do that. (laughs) Yeah, shoot a real tiger hunt, you
1: know. And so they said, let's put the exposition through action during the dinner sequence. So that's when you have the banter and have, and I always thought, it's, to me, it's, it's, It works. It's repulsive. It's it's, fun.
0: There's plenty. There's a ton of things that this movie is paying homage to, not just the serials, not just Gunga Den. I mean, Spielberg's just, you know, and Lucas were like, let's have this dinner scene. Let's make it as gross as possible. And it's going to be a a comedic send off to things like you know, Abbott and Costello, yeah. you know, these things where we see a reaction, the reactions of these stupid Westerners or the, or people that are coming from somewhere else, like what their reactions are going to be is going to be, is going to be, you know, our comedic, uh, punchline. And then in between all that, we can lay out all this exposition that yeah. we need to
1: That And it does, it works perfectly yeah. because, and for it's me, a- when I was little, I'm not even listening to what they were saying. I This is probably the first time I actually listened to the dialogue. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, of what indie... I mean, I've listened, but it's until the Maharaji s- s- yeah, yeah. talks, I was more involved in the food, you know? Yeah. And, and look, it's funny. I mean, there's a lot of... S- silly comedy yeah. in this movie and the two of them as a as a, as a comedy team uh, Willie and Short Ron I think it's hilarious <laughs> because she's never demeaning to him she's never like you know get away from a kid you're bothering me yeah, yeah. she's always very like you know looking out for him he's looking out for her I love the idea that she's wearing Indy's outfit from the Shanghai scene for the rest of the movie she's got the shirt and the that's her outfit because she had to take the dress off yeah. so it's like in that scene it's it, the two of them you're like it's like a Abbott and Costello uh, you know a Fisher and Marks a, yeah when well, she said like, do you have you know, anything plain Martin like and soup and then the Lew- soup comes Lewis and, and Martin, then Martin and Sharon and has his spoon ready because he's like I'm gonna eat yeah. the soup with her and they got eyeballs in it and then there's eyeballs you know or, the, or the freaking eels coming out of the snake you know that's gross out or the you know the beetle you're not you know and how disgusting that guy's eating the beetles or <laughs> chilled monkey brains like you said it's like you know, that's, that's just it's
0: But it's also it's a part of the the whole thing
1: of the, the yeah, the pulp or the yeah. the, the like, like
0: they like we said, like the third the going e- religion off. is
1: actually a culmination of a million other religions. Yeah. Uh, it plays I think on the the, the ignorance a, of the Westerner. This is what you expect, like we saw with Tarzan what's the whole name Tarzan the oh the Greystoke the legend of Tarzan king of the jungle or or just, you know, <laughs> know but in that movie we see there's a lot of stereotypes in there too that they try to explore a little bit you know of, of the Western culture the colonialism going into these countries so it's like playing on you know and that's what I you know garner a little more respect for this Where it's like oh the Indians are playing us for the fool it's like Gunga You know, they're playing us for the idiots because we come in like we think we know everything, like, you know, and then it's like they're the ones getting us out of the jam or they're the ones serving us this terrible food that people, you know, the jokes on us, you know, so. That's also a place, you know, the palace is also
0: in the middle of nowhere. I know. That's always freaky. It's not like. You know, very in, accessible. <laughs> you know? It's not like <laughs> it's in, on a bus route. It's out of the in matromo- metropolitan,
1: metropolitan. Yeah. It's in the middle of a jungle. So, so who knows what people eat anywhere? Yeah. You know? So that. So those are kind of the big controversial aspects. But so they get away. They get on the plane. Shanghai. I love that the Shanghai, the reveal. Goodbye, Doctor Jones. Lao She. They get on this this uh, plane. Uh, in the book, there's a scene where they all fall asleep, but then the pilots are coming out and one of the chickens lays an egg and it rolls down and Indy's able to grab the egg with his with his brow with like the hat hats over his head so they're even more scared of him they think he's like you know more of a like a demigod or whatever yeah. and that's how they go by him and they just you know I think they don't try to kill him that's what they get the idea of just dumping the you know the the the, the fuel and jumping out so we have this sequence which I used to love as a kid where they jump out you know no, no Doctor Jones, no more parachutes, and they have to try to fly. You get the sound effect from the the Millennium Falcon not jumping into warp. Yeah. You know, and then them coming down. When I was little, I found it so Im- improbable of them jumping out with a raft. But if you look at it, they must have did it. The actual, they did the stunt. It's not CGI so much. I mean, I think there's dummies. I mean, Oh, okay, yeah, duh, I guess. It, but, but but it seems like plausible it, if
0: they're crashing in the side of mountains.
1: It goes back to our mountain climbing in February, you know, like they
0: I said, actually I c- went to apparently they went allegedly they went to a raft company, yeah, and they said, Look, this is what we need to do. can you build us a raft that's big enough that would actually be able to do that, and because I mean, they're jumping out of a plane, but they're not really. Because they're in the mountains and the plane's about to crash in the mountains, they're no, not they're high. The they're altitude, not like a mile yeah. <laughs>
1: above the earth. It's it's losing altitude as it's coming down. So even though they may be ten thousand feet up and in they the did, mountain pass, and they did throw a raft yeah. out of the
0: fucking out of the plane
1: with yeah. dummies in it, and it landed, and it, I mean, it, that's, and it f- f- went down pretty good. I mean, it's and it's just and then I love the you know you see that beautiful shot, special effect shot of the plane hitting the mountain, and it looks so oh, yeah. Empire Strikes Back, so. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, it's so Spielberg, Lucas, early, mid-80s yeah, yeah. explosion. Uh, and even that plane there, that's a plane Ford made. And Ford didn't make a lot of planes, but you look at the evolution of an airplane where those are the in the days where the wings were on top, right? And yeah. then they realized in designing as the 30s went on that Tailspin it's, style. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you learn that it's a little bit like a PTY, yeah. You learn that, like... In designing planes, it's better to have the, the wings a little lower into the middle of the fuselage, like you look at modern planes. Yeah. You know, because it's better altitude or winds, you know, that kind of a thing. Uh, and then, you know, they go on this great ride where, they're, you know, oh, you know, and then there's the joke of them going off that cliff like Raiders Lost Ark. They fall, they land in the water, you know, and then they, then they fall asleep and they wake up and they're in India, you know, and yeah. I love that when they meet the guy. He, this is another thing people found offensive. And the that, guy thinks they fell out of the sky. Yeah, but it's that's also great where he's like he knows you guys were coming, and, and this is an interesting idea where this is a story where Indy isn't going after he falls into it like fate takes him here.
0: Let's, I think one of the other things like on a, as I got older into my teens, one of the other things that I didn't I didn't gravitate towards this movie as much was that like the stakes weren't as high as the other movies. Like yeah. the other movies, like they're trying to stop the Nazis from getting these.
1: Well, they end up when, when, when what's his face? Rama, Ramadan. I'm going to say Ramadan. <laughs> when ra- ra- you know, when he's saying, like, f- first. And then the Christian god will fall. I like, it's pretty fucking crazy. <laughs> you don't realize that there's this cult ready to take over the earth, you know, which kind of is alluded to a little bit in Gungadin where those guys, it's like that Kali wants to take the world over.
0: You yeah. Know? I just don't see that happening, even yeah. if they
1: did get off five. Oh, of stones. I oh, do, I do too. But it's kind of getting into that it mystical... Just, it's just
0: like it always seemed a little less... Yeah. The stakes never seemed as high. It seemed like the, he's recovering stones because he was asked to by this village. But then he has a, the... As opposed to like... The government asking him to, you know, yeah, to get this
1: before the Hitler Nazis does. Get yeah. It. Well, I, you know, it also goes to who he is as a person. You have a little save the cat where he could, you know, he could have just took the stones and not gone back to the village, but he decides to bring them well, back. He does the honorable
0: thing. Yeah. yeah. Which I is and I always thought when we were watching it this time, I was thinking that he shows up and he hands the stone. And the guy's like, "This isn't our stone." <laughs> what do you mean? Because <laughs> he had three of them. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's the wrong
1: one. <laughs> Wait, this one's not ours. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's a, it's a different <laughs> it's it's one. It's not the, a fake. It's a different it's one. It's one of the other three. Yeah. Wait, ours was, ours was shaped differently. You didn't <laughs> tell me you needed a particular stone. <laughs> God damn it. We wanted you to get our stone. Yeah, we needed all five. Uh, but people found this offensive because when the old man brings him to the village, that, the, that this village is... And it goes to the point that the village is cursed by the palace, by the thuggy preying on them and because the stones have left the village and the children have been kidnapped you know for whatever reason the crops are dying the whole The whole yeah. soil the land around them is dead and then it's a marked contrast at the very end when they're coming back before the kids are even brought back everything's grown again everything's green again you know so that was some people were like it's not even proper why would they be in a, a you know village that's destitute and poor that's stupid but it's like no because it's being affected by the yeah, story yeah. it's like the, uh,
0: Sam Kennison we used to say about like you know he used to make a joke because it was always like the Ethiopian, cause it was a big thing in the 80s, you know, got to f- provide funds for the Ethiopia because they're starving children and other stuff. And he'd be like, just move someplace where there's food was part was like that <laughs> joke they had in his act. Uh, but
1: I thought... And you and I love that Ethiopian <laughs> place over by <laughs> your house. Well, I mean, I like Ethiopian food, yeah. I, but I there's a place I... What's the name of that place? Ma'os, oh, I don't uh, know. Sheba something. It's great. Anyway. But
0: it was when we... Again, when we watched it, not only with the stone, the the... Same, the other thing that occurred to me when he shows up with all the kids, I was okay. like, man, that's a lot of kids in this village. Tons of kids. It was <laughs> like Tons. five kids to every, yeah. to every adult, not
1: even every married couple. We don't have birth control. Because <laughs> <laughs> we, we, they, they're, they're, they're labor, the labor that they need. Um, but I've always found it so touching. And it's a, another thing growing up, like, you know, the shamanism. He says, and then I was, I don't know if you noticed, but I was crying at this point that when he's, when that whole story he's like the children he took the joke it's like (laughs) i was like oh my god i was like you know it's because things hit you it's like oh so sad everything crops dying and you know i always love the joke she doesn't want to eat the food he's like this is the fucking you know this is they don't eat this much in a week eat it all that for me works and then the guys that always
0: made an impact on me even as a kid that line
1: even as a kid you know and they only have like paste on some like leaves yeah yeah. you know and and and, and like and he's like can you give us a guy died back a guide to guide us to Delhi, and he's like, but you're going to go to Bangkok Palace, and he's like, but it's not on the way, and he's like, no, you've come here, and then at the end, it's like, see, I told you, you come back, and then he's like, stuff started, because you you were coming back, that's why everything started to go good again, so and it's like the like da, guy knew the whole time. that guy couldn't speak any English, and evidently, Spielberg had to v- verbatim tell him the lines, and the guy would repeat them, but then it worked in such a great way where... The, not A dramatic pause, yeah. <laughs> the, yeah the, the, the pauses are impactful. It sounds like he's thinking, Wipe away, yeah. yeah I've sounded like the guy from Galaxy Quest. <laughs>
2: <laughs> ah, the, the what is it called? The historical
1: documents <laughs> ah, bring bring the stones back to us, back to us. Um, but that's why you get these dramatic pauses where it's these you know, Spielberg is verbatim saying to him these lines, so uh. I, I don't mean to go through the plot points in this movie, but I feel like it's just so... Then you, you go on the journey to the palace, and we have the elephants, which is funny, and them at the campfire. I, as a kid, I used to love them playing cards together yeah, yeah. and them fighting, and him like, you know, <laughs> He's no, like, you I'm know the very problem little. It's yeah. you know, awesome when
0: she's running around in the background. Oh, yeah, yeah, He's yeah. Like, you know the problem with her? it's the noise <laughs> exactly and she's finding all these
1: buggers. <laughs> bats baboon in the jungle you know lizards thing and he's uh, you know and he's talking about cheating how in, that Dr. Jones cheats and he, Dr. Jones finds a card and he's like what's the and it's so fun. then they start yelling in Chinese to each other and that's also goes to the novelization when um, when he meets Lao She for the first time one of the sons says something in Mandarin or something to the father and then Indy answers back yeah, and he's like, "Oh, I didn't know." And then I think they had that. In the I movie. wonder if that card if you, scene you know. was in
0: the script, or and then that's why that ended up being how they ended up casting. Uh, What's his name? Jonathan Kiyookwang. Yeah. Um, What's his face? Because he, they, they did like a open casting call. They went to all these schools. They they
1: they auditioned like six hundred kids yeah. to find. They were going to like elementary schools. and They were looking for like whatever grade they were having. You know, which I don't know if they do that anymore. Like, we're going to have an open call at elementary schools, but they were bringing whoever fed the demographic.
0: Yeah, yeah. And apparently they, they took, they, his older brother was, the kid's older brother was auditioning, but the, I guess he was in the room.
1: He was trying to give the kid, he was trying to like tell him what to do or prep talks. Yeah, yeah. And then they were, the the casting directors were like, well, who was this well, kid? Well, saw him and they thought, you know,
0: the kid had some spunk.
1: Yeah, you got some panache So how about kid.
0: you audition? And the kid who was so, he was young and, and he didn't, uh you know they couldn't read english very well and stuff yeah. so well, they brought him in for like an audition with Harrison Ford and instead of having him read sides they said play cards and you suspect that he's cheating
1: oh and they improv the whole scene and so they improv he improv the scene with Harrison Ford which they might have taped on those like yeah because I think you can see a shot yeah, of, a it's a shot really shot shitty that. VHS you know that day when VHS would like all just you know and then on one of
0: those making ofs you see Harrison Ford be like you know he was a good actor he was, like, he was a good like yeah. intuitive natural actor like you. he really when he got into it like he really believed that was happening which is all you really need to do as an actor
1: and I do I think he's great oh I think he's phenomenal he's, he's such a strong he's so believable as that you know we get um, now we have a story involving Dion oh we're gonna tell this one <laughs> I don't, can't remember whether we told the during our Lost Ark story. One of the original ideas that they were kicking around was having his sidekick, Indy sidekick, be a virginal young prince at the beginning. But then the two, the couple who were writing the screenplay said, no, let's do it more like the short round character. And since they had named Indiana Jones after uh, uh, Lucas's dog. And then you got Willie was named after Spielberg's, Spielberg's dog. dog. Then short round comes from their dog. The, they had it W- their Cockroach Spaniel was, was the... the the, the, the What's sure, their name? They had a dog. Cats and cats and ho-
0: Huick. Huick. Hew- w- I would say it's probably Huick and the cats. They had H-K- a dog.
1: H-U-K-C-K.
0: And they named it uh short round after their dog, but their dog was actually
1: named after a character in a movie called The Steel, steel helmet. helmet. Yeah, which is, I think, a, maybe a David Lean movie. I forget who did that, but anyway, maybe not David Lean. But yeah, that, that's The Steel Helmet. So... Uh, they get him, and then for Willie, the casting call, which is interesting because you hear about a lot of the early 80s stuff, Sharon Stone's auditions for a lot of stuff. We said Sharon Stone ends up being in both the Quartermain movies, and she is in, above the law, she's Steven Seagal's wife in that. And she's in... Uh, uh, Incubus. No, Deadly Blessings. Deadly Blessings. Yeah. <laughs> yeah early amazing. West movie. Yeah, yeah, which is about the uh, the dark side of... um. Of, what do you call them? It's uh, not of, even Amish. What is it? Amish. Then, it's uh, the Mennonites, maybe? Menor- maybe Mennonites. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the dark side of the Mennonites. Which, again, culture.
0: all that is playing into I know. the same
1: Because at th- the, the end of the Borgnine's character isn't the bad guy in that. He's kind of like the cautionary. Like He's like, you know, I know what he could be <laughs> capable of. He's. It's kind of like Borgnine showing up on your por- porch with that beard being like the guy from Poltergeist 2. Yeah, God yeah. is
2: in his holy I temple. Lo- I love deadly I
1: blessings. do, too. We should do that one day. See all five people are like we saw that, but so Sharon stone auditions a whole bunch of people auditioned for her, but then they saw Cape Capshaw, she brought props with her, and then. I guess Spielberg went over Harrison Ford's house and said, "I got about a dozen people. Yeah, I want, I want to show but you. But I want report. to show you this tape. Yeah." And Harrison Ford's like, "Yeah, she's not. Yeah, hot. <laughs> <Let's> do this." <laughs> so, uh, you know, then they then they get they go on the thing. They get to the palace, and this is the whole thing where the the guy who is a poor man's John Turturro, who I said he recognizes, "Oh, you're Professor Jones. I heard about you at Oxford. Blah, blah blah. Come on in." So they must have known he was coming. And then you have the British there, that the, like you said, Philip Stone, that guy's there. He they played a bigger part in the movie because he has a whole regiment there and he's just checking up on... Played uh, a bigger part in the the novel. In the novel and I think in the original story where the British occupied India until I think 1947 they gave ownership and it was no longer part of the... Of their empire but that's you know you get where the whole tea comes from uh the uh india has a huge love for cricket and stuff like there's a lot of overlapping and then a lot of indian people have then migrated to england in the 40s and 50s and all that kind of stuff so at the time that's why you're having like gunga din you have all the british walking around there and uh in the original story they have a whole regiment there and they're leaving like the next morning to go towards delhi so the idea was, if you want, you can come with us. Yeah. You know, you could piggyback. And then Willie's like, well, let's go with them. And, and then Indy's kind of still skeptical, like, no, we're here because of the stones. And I could talk about in a little while when we get to that point, there's a, a couple of deleted scenes that are in the novelization that have to do with them. But they're that's their like, you know, hey, you know, you can leave tomorrow with us and you can piggyback with us. And then, you know, I think the Maharaj is kind of, you know, why don't you go do that now? Go back, <laughs> go back. You know, go the little There's young so kid. Good documents. The young kid in that. So you have that dinner scene where you meet everybody, and then the Maharaja comes out. The joke: that she's going to try to marry him, and he's a young kid. He never talks until he's like, "I heard stories. <laughs> I heard too. They're old wives' tales." And I like how Indy's like, "Hey, you know what?" If I insulted your ass, I'm sorry. But, <laughs> say like a, but in the novelization, which I didn't realize they do bring up in the movie, the lines are, this guy knows a lot about um, Indy. He's like, you know, um, he's like, I heard you were kicked out of Honduras. Um, because you were called a grave robber, and he's like, I wasn't called a grave robber. And he's like, the Sultan of Madagascar threatened to cut off your head, and he's like, it, it wasn't your head. He's like, oh, your hands. He's like, well, it was, and it was, you know, it'd be phallic. He's cut, cut yeah, his, yeah. his genitalia off for whatever he was going on, and then that's when the, the kid interjects. but The kid remind me of a um, Stargate. He reminds me of that alien young emperor in Stargate. That's like the remember yeah, the, yeah. the clavvoyant or the body or whatever, but. It's always a big turn for me to realize that like they're all in it. And that's what w- we can keep going what we can get into with the the potion and the stuff. So I think the next scene is they're hungry and then you have that banter which is very much out of those old movies where yeah. they're they're very much you know felt like screwball comedies comedy where romance. you could tell there's an immediate attraction there she's immediately attracted when she meets Harrison Ford at the nightclub who's he oh he's kind of standoffish he's strong you know um, he's good looking but he's rugged you know and, I, and there's all this little subtlety which I loved capture he's got like in a it. million
0: pair like change of clothes
1: uh, it's another thing too you don't realize like he's got <laughs> you're trying to figure out like he's got his indie outfit which the shirt gets tethered or torn and then he hides the hat and then all of a sudden he's got because he, when he goes to dinner he's got like his professor outfit yeah, he, with the tie and the glasses, and, the glasses uh, and he's got the and he's got the sports the coat with the, with yeah, the dress uh, the jacket with and the and leathers with the leather um elbows and he's and he had know, the tux he had the tux which i guess you could suspension belief he had that it being it. but then later on it's like where did he have and then I think that's what our stuff that's what yeah, his yeah. face is always carrying he must have the hat wound it made me want to go get a hat I mean I don't know how good I would look in a, a fedora that's the but, thing <laughs> is I've you know, I,
0: maybe in Raiders I talked about this because when you and you had a story about how you, when you went there to
1: MGM Studios oh we bought the hat for 60 but bucks that, but
0: whenever you see somebody wearing trying on those official
1: they don't it, look it has, good they don't
0: look good yeah. it was just like Harrison Ford's head
1: yeah. Well, we talked it was about was the perfect head for that. <laughs> if you go listen to our Raiders of the Lost Ark cast, we talk about the actual outfit in detail, the the boots he's wearing which are very iconic, the gun, but more point the boots which are very legendary and then his hat. And they specially made the hat, I think with a they wanted it to have a wider brim than usual because they wanted to be able to have the double wear the hat and you can look down and it would obscure the face. So you wouldn't have to worry as much about having to double doing a stunt or something. Yeah. And so they did go to a famous. And again, if you go back to our podcast, we have all the names there, but they went to a famous hat maker, maybe on, um, what's the name the high street in, in London that made the hat and then did specifications. And then you can go get the hat, but it's like these places I never like with the boots. They sell the boot still now, but it's like in red. So yeah. like, why would you, it's it or the hats like in like a camel, the hat, the hat's color, hat's like a kind of very hill you know? Yeah top. Yeah. And it just looks... It's hard. It's like it me just, with the trucker's hat. I have such a big head. If I put one of those trucker hats on, it's, it's It just, just looks great on Harrison
0: Ford, but yeah. whenever you see somebody else try it on, it never looks quite as good. But I like the idea of having this hat that but you it's can great, wrinkle up.
1: But it's a great silhouette. Yeah. Great set piece. Great. He, he's always, you know, he's always picking it up. You know, and I love that he can just you know, fold it up, put it in the back of his pocket, take it out, flap it out. It's all ready to go. You know, it's like, I want to have... I mean, I used to have a, baseball caps like that, but not it's not the same <laughs> not you know? the same so they have that that interaction and I love the subtlety of, of Kate Cabshaw playing the part where like when he kisses her and he walks out of the scene she like tastes the kiss and she's like oh yeah it's like I love like <laughs> all you know you can tell yeah, she yeah. really wants him and then at the part where they start their own you know they kiss and they're about to then they get into a fight like I love all that and then they're gonna have the scene where it's, you know, the uh the minutes or you know, five minutes she will be back or whatever. And then he the guy comes into his room and there's the whole fight where he's getting strangled and the joke where she's yelling at him and he's like holding which his is hand. Alleged, out.
0: Which is apparently when he where Harrison Ford hurt
1: his back. Yeah, he was at his disc. Yeah.
0: And then he had to go and have some kind of weird papaya enzyme some f- operation. So he left surgery, yeah. Went back to America and then uh they were gonna hold up the whole production, but then Spielberg's like, like I wanted to get this shit done. Yeah, so, so they guys had the stunt. He's man. like, let me do the
1: stunt. We'll do all, we'll do everything we can do without Harrison. Six weeks with the the stuntman. I think his name was like Vic Armstrong. He and his wife stretch actually Armstrong. Stretch Armstrong. Oh, <laughs> Stretch Armstrong. His wife actually doubled for Kate Capshaw on it, and. I guess Harrison Ford was doing one of these somersaults and he herniated a disc and was yeah, in like terrible pain. He was pain. flipping the
0: guy over his yeah. back and or he ended w- up landing on him by accident or something.
1: And I have two herniated discs in my back and it's terrible and painful as all hell if you can't get it fixed. And, you know, backs are always notoriously messed up. So he was in such great shape. He had had Harrison to get into shape for this was um, trained by... Body by Jake, remember? Jake Steinfeld. Remember Jake Stein? S T E I N Feld, which is huge for us when we were in the '80s. Because I wonder if it's because of this movie. Like Steven spiel Steven Seagal got his career because he was a martial arts guy who started training people for like the Bond movies, and people yeah. were like, "Hey, you know, you need to get your own movie or whatever." So I wonder if Jake training Harrison Ford in this movie, they're like, you need to get your own. Because remember, in the late '80s, he had his own like yeah. sitcom that was kind of like a home improvement or uh, something Yeah,
0: I also remember he had an exercise show, Body
1: by Jake, is that and, it? And yeah,
0: I think that was the name of the exercise show. But he was also he did make he was did make appearances in some movies. Yeah, and he had a I think he I had like say an exercise he's in something like DC Cab, if it's not DC. Oh cab no, he's a or, cab or,
1: driver in I think it's he's the cab driver in Coming to America, right? Oh, uh, maybe. Where yeah, he drives them to I'm Queens. Th- maybe
0: that's what I'm thinking about because we have talked about it before on yeah, the show.
1: But he was a fun, people knew who He's not mentioned in the movie at all. There's some footage of Harrison Ford working out, where he's like kicking ass. He's and um, I guess you know he was doing this exercise routine. And there's he was gonna have he was gonna have a chunk of the movie. He was gonna have his shirt off. Yeah, and he's so. in his he's in his 40s by this point, so he wants to bulk up for the role. And you know, and he does this great, evidently exercise, and then something that like he had a very very low body like fat count. He did a really great job, but he ends up hurting his back, yeah, and, which
0: he kind of hints at. That it could have started when, when they're riding, spending so much time riding the elephants. Yeah, that it's not an easy
1: because you're not, you know, you're not in like it's a, not a comfortable thing to do. Yeah, you're on the you're on the shoulder blades, and you kind of just got to ride and keep your legs open, and it there, it's it's almost it's not like riding bareback. It's actually you know you don't have a saddle or anything. Yeah. So it, it was being aggravated, but it was so bad where he kept working, but they brought a hospital bed on set. They had him laying in between takes in the hospital bed, and it got to the point where they didn't want to. S- Harrison didn't want to stop shooting down, but everyone could tell he was in so much pain. They would walk him to the shot. He would do the shot. He'd go back to the bed. So I guess Spielberg called Lucas, and Lucas was like, fuck it, get a plane. And that's when they flew him to L.A., to the hospital there, and he had this surgery, and he was in recovery for like six weeks. And then in in that time, they used all this. And evidently, they were lucky because the stunt double looked so much like Harrison Ford with the hat on and the outfit that... A lot of the stuff. If you look, you can. say, Oh, yeah, that isn't him. You know. Yeah, or, yeah. You know. So they were able to shoot a lot of this around him, you know. But the idea was when they were looking to shoot this movie, they they realized India was like, no, you can't shoot here. So they were able to go to Sri Lanka, which is right off the coast of India, and shoot the majority of the stuff there, except the palace. But they realized, you know what? If we just get a matte painting, we can matte paint yeah, that we'll sucker. We'll shoot this on the blot, and then they we'll already just... yeah they were planning to shoot. The interiors on the lot are yeah. They're
0: like we're gonna shoot all the interiors on a, on in a set. So why can't we just go to the back lot? And we'll build the fa- like the uh, f- you know the bottom of the facade, and then we'll just do a map painting for the rest of the. Which is you know I don't know for me I could understand back then you know you want things to be as realistic as possible, but now from like a nostalgic standpoint.
1: You can't tell. Like,
0: well, I just love the way all that shit looks. Oh yeah, now, you know, what I mean? like when we were talking about when we did RoboCop 2, and I was talking about how like I just love the way the claymation moves. Oh it's yeah. not realistic. Yeah, but there's something heartwarming about it for me. Cause, yeah, because growing up seeing that kind of stuff. So when you see all these beautiful map paintings, which ended up being something, a lot of them they ended up uh, adding afterwards because supposedly the rough cut. Which clocked in at almost a full two hours, like 150, uh, an hour 55 minutes. Lucas and and Spielberg were like, "Shit, that was that's too fast."
1: Yeah, which is crazy because now nowadays so you would think they want it's that. It's so
0: action packed; like, you need to have the, room to breathe. The audience needs to fucking relax and have time to breathe. So then they started making these, you know, interstitial. Well, like we'll shoot some more map paintings, establishing shots, so that in between these action scenes, the audience can breathe for a minute. Yeah, but it's like when they walk through the tunnel. With, like, the catacombs, oh, yeah, yeah. you know, like, that's clearly all a matte painting. And so so much of that stuff was like, oh, man, like, it's just fucking movie magic. Yeah.
1: <laughs> like, it's so gorgeous. And it's, a, it's when you get into those catacombs, it's another thing we're being so freaked out as a kid. Like, you do snakes in the first movie, and the bugs... That's something you'll never forget them like stepping on stuff or yeah. them having to. So see, then they did, you know, hers. coming up with the next one they did rats. Yeah, you know, in, when they're under in the Venice um, catacombs, but like her having to put her hand and and all that. We are going to <laughs> die, or you know, short round like I, I thought you, you. I stand right here like you told me. You know, that's so yeah, yeah. that's I find that so funny where. You know, she's all upset. It's in my hair, and she's then she runs in, and then it starts again. And he's like, yeah. "I did not think." that they have to run through, when he's able to get his hat. And then he's sitting there, and the spike comes down and yeah, it's he's squishing like, his hat. Yeah, down. it's like it's so perfect. It's like you know, and luckily, yeah, uh, they would have. But it, those are like you know, fucking. It's, it's like those sequences in the older. Yeah, you know, I mean, like, that's like the
0: giant boulder at the beginning of Raiders. Like yeah, the booby traps stuff. That was another thing. It's like the end of a serial. It's I like, feel like, they, That's you know, another thing along with will, will that they find he finds that through secret entrance.
1: Oh yeah like with secret passage that's another trope of the 80s <laughs> like I feel like booby traps for
0: a big thing treasure for maps a, for, for a big thing for us as kids
1: Pirates, treasure maps uh, hidden treasure or gold yeah, or whatever. I mean, all that happened all that stuff comes up in the uh, like goonies also yeah.
0: which I think maybe played a lot of it into us for us kids you know because that was the kids on an adventure type movie but like all these things just like beautiful little nuggets of things from our childhood yeah.
1: And you know, for me, you know, when at the end of the movie when he's on the um when they're on the bridge and he's in the middle of the bridge and there's a couple shots where he's like got the machete up trying to figure out what to do and it's like really grainy and it's really pushed. It really looks like like Romancing the Sown or Sorcerer, where they're like they're in the jungle shooting there.
2: Yeah. It has
1: that eighties look for me where it's like that grainy kinda yeah. you know, like, you know, they they got the shot but they had to really push the you know the the the, 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 um, the developing sure. of it. It really, to me, looks. You know so another 80s. movie that
0: we didn't wasn't mentioned in the in the uh, in the same breath of all these things that we've been talking about. All these other kinds of movies, which I think plays. A lot of similarity is fucking Big Trouble in Old China. Yeah. I mean, that's like the neon 80s version of what's going on in Temple of Doom. Yeah. But there's like that underground, you know, catacombs, like underground thing, cult, you know, kind of a sacrifice going on and. Girl with the eyes. But the big, uh, you know, ceremonial, you know, crazy. Underground cave, uh, temple.
1: And then the mystique of them, like the three guys coming down, which are kind of goes back to like gods or the folklore yeah, yeah. of all that kind of. And then what's his face? The, um, What's his name? So, Lopan. Che- so
0: check out our Big Trouble in Little we China We did a book. Bu- <laughs> yeah, we did a Big Trouble <laughs> in Little really China. really early on. It's like
1: our fourth or fifth episode yeah. or something like that. Yeah, we go into that a bit. Um, the original idea for... The original name for this was going to be the Temple of Death, but then they realized they turned it to the Temple of Doom. Indiana Jones on in the Temple of, of death. death. No one on 13 a minute. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so they get to this temple. You go through the whole bug sequence, which is freaking awesome. You know, so it's funny, and then, you know... Uh, and then they get to this whole sacrifice sequence, which was all shot. Amazing to think this is all shot on a set somewhere. Yeah. You know, they're in England in one of those L Street studios, and they, it's lit beautifully. They, they want to get the original um, production designer to come back who did the first movie, but he is away doing uh, Return to Oz. So they couldn't get him because he's, he's knee-deep in doing Return to Oz. So they get his... Balls deep. Yeah, his <laughs> balls deep in, 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 in doing Return to Oz stuff. Um, what was his name? Uh, Norman Reynolds. So they get uh, Elliot Scott, the, Norman Reynolds' mentor, who does... Who Framed Roger Rabbit, Labyrinth. They hire him to do the production design for this. Gorgeous. Yeah. And it's freaking awesome. And then you get the idea of like when you see... What's his name? Mocha Aram. When you first see this guy... That, you know, who have, this actor who who is the um, Mola Ram? Mola Ram, who who is this played, actor played by Amrish Puri? He be, he's become an, a vin, a villain in in India's like Bollywood cinema, and it's kind and of even a, at that
0: time he was one of the biggest actors in India. Yeah. He was making other, he was making eighteen other films. That
1: year, <laughs> and so he, they really had to shoot around his schedule. And they shaved his head for this, and it's the idea like uh, he and he thought he looked so good. He's never he's always kept it shaved since, and that's yeah, what the. And he passed
0: away about ten years ago or so.
1: Oh, did so he? I think so. Yeah, because that's how Telly Savalas he shaved his head to play Punch's Pilot in the Greatest Story Ever Told. He's like this look really looks great. Neil <laughs> like, I love, Brenner, you know, I love <laughs> his look, <laughs> <laughs> baby. Um, so, but he, this guy was terrifying. You know, he comes out and it's that whole sequence where you have them, this, you're bringing this guy out, home, homeowner, and you put him in, and then these followers, and yeah. they take the hey, heart it's like, out. It's
0: fucking terrifying. You know, the whole and, scene is terrifying. And then
1: them, them going down, and evidently, they, they deemed it to be too they they put an animatronic dummy on this thing that was miniature and they had a miniature. Was it, is it Tippett and Dennis Miran maybe doing these Probably. miniatures? I mean, it is ILM. Yeah. So. They had, so they had a lot of miniature work for the mine car chase stuff. And then for this scene, when they're going lowering, they had like a, a, a sack a, an Indian guy sacrifice and they had a dummy for her later on. And they, you know, they dip him in and it was so horrifying him getting set on fire in the little animatronic dummy moving that they had to then superimpose, like some fire on it because Spielberg thought it was just too horrifying looking, yeah. you know. But this whole sequence is like it's amazing. You never really the mysticism of what's going on. were so disgusting, he's able to go into his chest, pull his heart out. The the, the wound seals itself, which I found so disgusting. Yeah, like no I, blood. I, even as a you know, kid, I
0: was I was like,
1: what, what the I, fuck is going
0: on? I here? always wondered if it was. I mean, I think as a kid, I remember previously thinking that. And and it really doesn't play this way now. It plays like it just fucking happens. But as a kid, I uh, it it's, out, it's actually a more complicated explanation. But maybe as a kid, I was like trying to find reason in it.
1: Yeah. Well, how? Yeah. You always try to just because I, I always it.
0: kind of felt that like maybe he was given something like the blood of Kali or something, and it's really like an allu- you know
1: everybody who's under
0: that. It's a, it's a like a young Indiana Jones style hallucinogenic
1: yeah <laughs> implication. Oh Dennis Muir and Joe Johnston were doing Joe uh, Johnston. Yeah. yeah. And then Ben Burt, who did those the Star Wars sound effects, did all the sounds for this movie. Yeah. and ben, ILM.
0: ben Burt went and uh I don't think it's it had never been done before. He got free reign of Disneyland.
1: Oh yeah. After hours. Yeah, to go on the rides, <laughs> to go on the
0: rides and and all the roller coasters and stuff and and the, uh audio tape, audio record the sound. Without so without them without the, the music, music or the sound and without track, the crowds. Yeah. So it was just like you got all the sounds of the like the roller coasters
1: for the mime car Yeah, scene. which fucking works great. So I mean, how can you fully all that you know but i
0: always like i said i always kind of thought maybe it was some kind of like it didn't really happen
1: yeah it's a, it's everybody's kind of un, it's like this everybody sees this it's like they're a, all drinking the kool-aid it's like a visual what do you call one of them like a, everybody it's a mass um uh, a mass you know? hallucination yeah. they
0: all b- want to b- they all believe it and so it appears that way yeah but he's really just like some brilliant yeah well like, you know
1: uh hand hand <laughs> We Magician. talk. We talk about the novelization, and I guess since you know we're we're, we're getting into the you know we're going we're knee deep in this now, um, we can jump around. You, you end up finding out that the Maharaja's drank the shit, so he's drinking the Kool Aid, so he's part of it. Later on, we find out poor man John Turturro, uh the ambassador, he's drinking it. He's part of it. But he we, he I don't know. He could have just been in on it. Yeah. Well, I don't. You know, because the kid clearly is like been corrupted. Yeah, well he's drinking. mine altered. So when it when But he
0: but the other guy could have just been
1: a drinking thug, the oh uh, to begin with. Yeah. He's he's bringing back the glory days. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> <laughs> Taking his post, could have been. you know. Yeah. Um you have in the book in the in a deleted scene you have a whole sequence if you notice. So after the whole uh, sacrifice, everyone leaves, and he's like, I'm going down there. He goes right down and people. Don't even The janitor's still, like, cleaning up, you know, <laughs> with, his, with his broom, uh, you know, and vacuuming or polishing the floor. And Indy goes down there, grabs the stones. It's interesting, this, whatever's going on with the stones when yeah, they come together. Like, Where did everybody go? Yeah, we're there. Just I ran there. <laughs> Yeah, we're, we're, everyone's meeting the Dunkin' <laughs> Donuts. Proceed
0: to the, ban- to the yeah. banquet room. We're going to have dinner together. Yeah, we're
1: going to have some dinner. We're going to show some slides. Boko Haram has come back from... Um, talk Haram. about everything we just discussed isn't Boko Haram that's the evil that's not evil it's the Muslim Brotherhood or whatever I keep saying um, so they, everyone leaves Indy is, uh, goes down and grabs the stones and then there's that scene where he hears stuff going on and this is almost one of like a save a cat for me where he he doesn't need to go investigate first he thinks the sounds the screams or maybe like hallucinations because he's a little freaked out he's looking at the the crazy looking proj- you know production design but then he hears oh hears it again and he realizes this must be diegetic sound. He goes down the passageway and he reveals to this big you know, child slaves and you realize what they've been doing with the slaves and the idea is that they've got the kids mining in there to to find emeralds or jewels, anything of value to then I think they're looking for the other two stones. They're looking for the other two stones but while they're doing it they're also mining it to help finance all this shit they're doing. Yeah,
0: to, to kill two birds. Yeah.
1: <laughs> but they know that somewhere in these catacombs, because of that legend he says, the priests hid there somewhere. And if you get off, it's like freaking getting the, you know.
0: The weather dominator.
1: With all powers combined, we can bring the weather <laughs> dominator. Cobra command, and we come, you know, And then you get it like, you know. And Cobra's like, this I command. So well, that's actually Serpentor. So there's a sequence where Indy gets out of there runs gets captured but you know that if you notice as soon as he disappears you have that big scare where short round and her they're grabbed yeah if you look she runs away right short rounds grabbed there's a whole I don't know if they shot this but in the book there's a whole deleted sequence where she gets out she goes into her bedroom she runs out she's screaming in the hallways and she wakes up the ambassador poor man John Totoro and she yeah. wakes up um what's his name Captain uh the uh, Philip Stone. Pepper.
0: Captain <laughs> Sergeant Pepper. Sergeant Pepper.
1: And this Get the Lonely Hub Clark band out. <laughs> Captain Philip Blumbert. He, she wakes Blumbert up and she's like, Hurry, you need to, you know, something. And, you know, Ambassador's like, Ah, it's a woman. You know how women are. <laughs> it's like, like a lot of that. Like, dizzy. she's hysterical. She's, you know, she's dizzy from dinner and, and she didn't eat. So she's, you know, so they walk around and she's like, I swear, I swear. And then you have the whole sequence where they turn indie in there uh-huh. they drink the stuff he's talking about stuff all of a sudden the Maharaj is there having him drink the stuff really freaky 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 um, I've always liked the sequence where they put him in the room to churn and it's almost like Serpent of the Rainbow shit where he's in there like Roar! Yeah, Roar! Yeah. <laughs> freaky to me and then he wakes up comes in the shot and he's like he has a real this is going to be fucking awesome and he starts smiling in the book she's looking looking all of a sudden Indy shows up out of the thing and Indy's fine and Indy tells him to leave And in Indy's head, Indy's, like, there's all they they write it all, like, in caps and italicized for the whole two paragraphs, but Indy's trying to justify what's going on, and he says, no, she's just imagining things, like, you know, like, nice night for a walk, nice night for a walk, you know, it's like (laughs) that kind of a thing. They leave, she's trying to get him back to bed, and then he reveals that he's actually part of it, he says something, I forget what he says, and that's how they're able to kidnap her, and that's how they're able to bring, put her, you know, and they're going to sacrifice her. The kid is put into slavery, and the kid's fighting. He gets slapped, and at some point, a guard falls. And when the guard falls, he accidentally falls and burns himself. And that's how the kid knows the, burn, the burning it yeah. yeah, wakes people up because it wakes a guard up. So you then get led to believe that evidently everybody's drinking the Kool-Aid, and everybody's actually needs to be waking up. So later on, that's where the whole sequence is. Where the, it's, I think they shot some of this where the kid runs up. And he's he's running around, and they're they're like stop him, and they're you know they're fighting. He's you know it's a longer sequence of him on the altar before he tries and wakes Indy up, and Indy slaps him and stuff. Uh, But that's how he knows to wake Indy up, and or I and then also I think one of the kids says something to him. You know when he's up in the prison, the two kids are like you know take the East River, (laughs) (laughs) go far away. You know take the left channel, not the right, because it'll only bring darkness and death. So. That's how he knows they fill it out, and then you have the idea where Indy get, you know, Indy, Indy wakes up, and then he's able to do this. So then, when he goes and saves the kids, the mine kids, there's a sequence that's also in the novelization that's deleted out of the movie where uh, the kids are the reason why they have to go through the mines and not back the way the kids went is because um, there's a rope bridge or something, and whatever happens that. Burns and falls, so they can't go back the way the kids went back through the palace. They have to then go the other way, and that's how the kid tells them you have to go to the state of the right. You know, don't, that's that's the reason why they elect to go in the mines. Yeah, to take yeah. the hard way to go back. You know, and you have the whole sequence where Indy, uh, you know, he comes back to you know. I remember I'm cheering as a kid for him to come back to save the kids because he gets his hat on, he gets his outfit. You know,
2: one of the things
1: I haven't mentioned is I remember the movie poster for this. In my opinion, for me, is one of the best movie posters of all time. There's the picture of it, it's done by the famed artist Struzen Yeah, Drew Struzen. Drew Struzen where he's where it's that picture of him like standing with his shirt off with the machete, kind of like looking down at you. He's almost yeah. kind of like on the edge, you know, and he's kind of like he's, you know not exhausted, but he's like you know ready to go. And in the back, you see the columns. For me, I've always loved that iconic iconic image of Indiana Jones. That shot. So I remember when I was little, going to like the library. And they had like a storybook of this, and that was the cover of the storybook. One of those big yeah, like eight yeah. by ten storybooks.
0: I think my copy of the, my copy of the novelization is that. Cover, oh, I think I
1: you're think. right. But my my copy of the novelization might that be also. Might not might not be that also. <laughs> might be that also. So I've always loved that shot. And very yeah. iconic in my association of me liking Temple of Doom. So when you get the idea of the shot of him. They all turn, and you see, like, the, the shadow of him. He's got the hat back on. He's For some reason, he's put his shirt on now. And he's going to go, you know, he punches the guy, and the guy slides back 20 feet on the, the rocks, and he's helping the kids get out. And then he has to fight the big guy, and the big guy is the guy, Pat Roach, who is the big guy from Raiders. He's the guy with the bald head that Indy fights under the... Um, Propeller blades. Yeah, that what are you, the wing, the flying wing. And... Uh, Later, I think he's supposed to, he plays even the guy in the third one, but they cut his part out, or no ticket. I think he's that guy, and he throws off the big guy, you know. Yeah. Um, and then he passed away before they were able to put him in the fourth movie. But I love the idea when they, they have that he has that big fight with those guys, you know, and then you have the the guy taking out the the, the freaking voodoo doll, and he's stabbing the voodoo, you know. And then that's another thing where it's, you get the impression in the in the book that, he puts Indiana Jones's hat on short round and he's doing he's being Indiana Jones where he's running around, he's helping kids get out, you know, he's punching people out. He runs up there and beats the shit out of the kid and burns the kid to wake the kid up, the Mah yeah, you know. And it's not in the novelization, but I always liked when they're on that uh, conveyor belt to that big rock cruncher that when the other guy gets caught Indy starts helping him. Tries like, to save yeah, him. Yeah, that's very admirable, which he didn't really need to do, but that's who Indy is. And that's not in the novelization, so maybe that's something they developed on set. But, you know, he's trying to help him, he's trying to pull, and then the fulcrum, like the, he weighs more, so he just lifts Indy up, you know, and he gets stuck, and it was always a gruesome death, even though all you just see is some blood come. It's like, you yeah, know, smear on yeah, the You know, it comes up. So there's that. And then you have the whole car chase. Which uh, is really cool. They did that with miniature work, and that becomes like, you know, I mean, it's a level of silliness where you know how they actually have made a roller coaster of rot, you know, of, of yeah. mine cars and that. But you know, it's just hundreds of year old mines or whoever the hell knows. But it's such a amazing set piece as a finale of them driving around this nine car using the 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 uh, the brake and the shovels or the yeah. set because they go to LIM and they go to and they talk to. Mirroring and, and they're talking about the sequence because they guess they built the the live action mind. They've just built a big circular track on the outskirts of a studio. Yeah. Right? Yeah. In, in just
0: like, I love, I mean, I've talked about this. I talk about it a lot in our, our Jurassic Park episode where I talk about, like, to me, there may be no living filmmaker that understands the language of cinema as well as is is not as fluent as Steven Spielberg. To me Steven Spielberg like the actual language of telling a story cinematically. Like he's just a fucking he's fluent in that language. And I love hearing him talk about making movies because it's a fascinating window into the mind of a of a brilliant artist and
1: Especially uh, when you're like us when you're into it. Yeah. You know, you're like, of course
0: when he says like, you know, the only part of the, like the full-size live-action uh, mind card thing was a circular... It was, was a big circle, and they would just... To make it look different, they would just light it differently every yeah. time it went by. And it's the same thing when you listen to him talk about Duel. Yeah. Which is, they only had... you you know, for that chase scene, they just had us like a a X amount of length of road. road,
1: And then they would just shoot it every other way. And
0: they would just shoot it from different angles and he would just drive back and forth. But yet like he has a mind that comprehends how to do all the way he's going to put it all together and how he can shoot it so that it looks like, and like an expansive, you know, like huge, you know, highway of road or this, mammoth amazing like roller coaster full of uh uh, of track it's just it's amazing to hear him talk about his thing and he did a lot of what he did for temple he says a lot of the fight stuff they improvised on set but a lot of the bigger set pieces he he did just like they did in raiders which is they built those sets in
1: miniature yeah
0: and he would get on like on the ground or it was on a table, and he'd get down at eye level with like a viewfinder, and he would pick his Store shots. Yeah,
1: he'd have it all done before they even got there,
0: and he could look at it in a three in three dimensions and say, "Okay, like we can shoot it from this angle and this angle, and shoot this, that, and and that way." He, once they got on set for these giant, humongous set pieces, like he didn't have to really think about so
1: it. So that's why he when shot you shot it all in his head, yeah, when you go back to the Twilight Zone. Segment when he did the kick the can, how it was so unlike him to not even he was having he was outsourcing yeah. the blocking and not even having stuff like he like we just said he's very meticulous about storyboarding and I think they talk about maybe when they got to the sequence with Indy fighting everybody to save the kids in the mine they just came up on set with a fight and yeah how, you know, fight stuff that's you know, stuff that's but that's usually the- he still has it all storyboarded for yeah. the most part you know but they just improv a lot of that like I love there's a couple of shots which I find so iconic where he's like running on the second story of like the, the catwalks, and they're shooting at him and there's just bullets exploding everywhere and he you know throws the whip and he just you know swings and gets in like it's so iconic for me as Indiana Jones yeah um, but Spielberg and they also you got to give I guess credit to Douglas Slocum who's maybe either the DP or the lighting guy because it was a lot of they say they really talk about how amazing his lighting is because one they shot all this Temple stuff on a set, and it looks like real. And then, yeah. too, like you're saying, that how brilliant is it for them just to relight the same set of track around a soundstage for it to look like different sequences of the of the minecart? But they brought in, I guess, Mirren and um, and uh, Johnston, um, who are ILM guys, and they said, Hey, look, this is what we can and we can't do. Do you have an idea as to what you guys can do? And they developed, well, we could... And I think they even shot a they did like a model sequence before the model sequence where they just took regular like um, uh, railroad track and they just got mine cars they put like G.I. Joe or He-Man guys that, you know and yeah. then they did like a, a th- they did a, a, a mock-up of it and they yeah. said this is and then they sent him like a rough cut, like this is what we think we can do. And they came up with a lot of the gags of like holding short round over the flames or having one guy fall out and trips up the next mine car the you know, the the railroad tide jump falling out and then that yeah. you know
0: you can see and not I haven't I don't think I've seen footage of that, but you can see footage of them doing basically the same thing uh, for Return of the Jedi. Yeah. With the speeder bike scene through the woods. That they basically had figures on bikes on sticks and they built like a a very rudimentary model of the of trees yeah and then you see them with the camera down and they're just moving the uh with sticks, the bikes through the forest.
1: And that's their like rough. Yeah. It's like now
0: they do all that in computers, like these animatic kind of like moving storyboards. But there they would do them with miniatures, like very rudimentary, throw something together really quick. And then you can get an idea of like, okay, well like this is not going to work. This is that this could work. And then you get to see it. Even though it's you yeah, know, you have to three use your imagination, yeah. but at least you can see it, it was prior in, to in computer action. making
1: before they could do mo- all in computers. Yeah, I have a, a Indiana Jones Blu-ray box set with the four movies, and this was one of the special features they had: this footage of them, the f- of them showing all what they can and can't do, and then them doing everything live action, and then doing. I mean, because it's so funny because they're not going that fast, or but then they make it so exciting and heart pump. You know, yeah, uh, for this whole sequence, and then at the and then at the very end when they knock the water. And they have to have him. I, uh, I'm a sucker for all these jokes. So, they were saying it's so dark. The sequence, say when Indy is fighting that guy, where the guy throws the hammer. And then the hammer falls on somebody else's head, yeah. and you hear like the stupid sound effect. But it's to try to give a little brevity to like the yeah. the, the little, darkness little of it, comic relief. Yeah, which I find that all of it works. None of it to me, to me is too slapstick that it jumps the shark. Well, it
0: sets the you know it goes the back tone to that they set up the tone. The before. Saturday afternoon serial. Like. Yeah, yeah,
1: and like I always love the joke where the, you know when they break the the break he's got to use his shoes and he gets up he's like water you know and oh, it, yeah, and it's yeah. it's just all on you know it's smoking and he's water and then the water's come in you know and then again when they when they run out of that tunnel and they get onto the sides it's so 80s star wars <laughs> yeah, keyed in yeah. you know where you see the water coming out and how they did that and and, and keying them putting them over on the ledges and this ledges and then he's climbing above and you know they're like get to the get to the other side or whatever um it's it's you know and then they get to this to this uh Model with the mats, and they have this. I guess wherever they were in Sri Lanka, they had there was a British company building this dam, and they got the British company t- to make for them, which is, I guess, serendipitous. I'm sure they paid for it, yeah, them, of but course. But it was great, they didn't have to fly everywhere. Yeah, well, in. they say that, like, yeah, they, 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 had, the they, not, they had all
0: these engineers on site,
1: yeah. To design Where them a, you know...
0: We would have had to fly people in. Yeah. It would have been cost...
1: was like... It would, would have spent a ton more money. It's kind of like with what Freaking did in Sorcerer when he had to make that rope bridge for the trucks and they had to, like, move it because they had a drought under the lake they were using and they had to have the trucks. They'd get these guys to build this bridge. that's very safe. But then... I don't know how wide it was, but, you know, everyone's... Like, I guess the DP and Spielberg have a vertigo, fear of heights and stuff. So they wouldn't... They would only go out, like, 30 yards on either side, but Spielberg would have to take the car... It's like a mile and a half around to get to the other side as opposed to just crossing the bridge. Yeah. So uh you get this end sequence where, you know, I love you know, they're trying to cross and you have the idea which I've always played for I thought it was really well there's always throwbacks to these movies. Jokes that, you know, you get as the viewer because you know the first movie so well. So the scene where he runs up and there's two guys there and they're, they're doing something with their sh- sh- uh, machetes. Yeah, and he looks for his first yeah, gun. Yeah, and you even hear the musical cue, the John Williams cue. We should get to John Williams this movie. But you hear the cue of the da-da-da-da, whatever from yeah. Egypt, from the first. And he goes, and there's nothing in his holster. Love that. Well, I, uh, I used to always laugh out loud at that. He's like, And he's, then the gun's gone because Willie threw it out at the beginning of the movie. You know, But people made fun of that. And like,
0: then there's a little not Star Wars, which is when Han Solo's in the Death Star, yeah. and he runs down the hallway. And then he turns back. He's like, run, run, run. And, and there's all a, the,
1: the whole army's running. This like,
0: is, he runs off camera towards the camera, like slightly stops off like, camera. Yeah, he's like, oh. he, so he stops, and then he turns and he starts running,
1: and all. And then you see all these guys just start chasing him. And I've heard people, when they were criticizing this movie, they talk about how they thought that was stupid the part with the gun. It's a stupid callback. And it's like, I loved all that. That's stuff I was laughing at, my you know. And then him running up and then him running away because the whole army's running after him with machetes you know yeah. like that and then you have the sequence where at the end of the movie where they get out onto this this drawbridge he's got the stones on him the other guy wants the stones back and then you know just to get him out on the bridge he brings him out because he's calling his bluff that he ain't gonna do it and then it's like you know I love that you realize you make a realization he realizes he's gonna have to cut it and you have, like, you know, what is he crazy? He's not crazy. He's nuts. Oh, he's, oh, he's, he's is not he, nuts. He's nuts. No, he's like, he's no, he's nice. like, he crazy. And you know, hold on, lady. We go for a ride. And, like, oh, he's like, oh Indy. Love all that. Him cutting the. The bridge, and then the bridge collapsing, and they said that they... That's another crazy thing. Back to, like, practical world, they got models, and they had... Yeah,
0: because most times when you see them, they throw a dummy.
1: Yeah, it just looks like, like a dummy. It's just like, like there's
0: a limp body, and
1: there's like... Yeah, there's no <laughs> bone structure, so they're just <laughs> flapping around. But they actually
0: had dummies made that were articulated and and moved. So, like, so
1: you see, like, the legs and the arms flailing. So when a, you buy, like, a toy with a battery in it, if you think about... Sometimes you got to pull that tab out for the thing to start working. They had the same kind of concept where they had these dummies set on the bridge with these tabs that were connected to the bridge so that when the bridge collapsed, the tabs would be removed and the dur- dummies would turn on and they'd start frailing. So when you watch it, it looks like... It does look like you know, people th- fall. And yeah, and then one, one of them, like, whacks his head, you know, on the side of... And it falls. And the funny also thing is, too, is that they're falling into an alligator pit because they shot that in Florida. It's not crocodiles, which would be yeah. in Australia or out in Asia. Um, so it breaks in two, and you know, he f- both sides fall, and then there's this great sequence where they're climbing yeah, up, and comes there's a ladder, fight. yeah. And you know, it's and then you see how much of a villain is what's his face? Um, uh, Moko Haram. Oh, I keep saying Moko Haram, <laughs> that's a, the, the name of the Taliban, Mola Ram, Mola Ram, you know, because he throws his own guy down, you know, after you know, and you see the of course, the alligators people, you know, they're f- jumping slumping f- around and all that. And you get to the scene where now Indy they start like fucking fist fight and, and they fall He's got a by his ass. Yeah, he's starting to on <laughs> his ass and, and, and Shoran's like, Indy, cover your heart. You know, he's like, a you know And he looks like he's about, and I think in the book they talk about like he starts feeling weird and he starts feeling like, you know, um, he starts getting like chest pains, like something It's really yeah. taking effect. But then Indy fucking mind games him. You know, he, he starts saying, you know, no, you, you uh, went against the faith and Kali and he starts saying his shit he knows and he starts saying whatever he knows, and it gets the stones, to. because if you notice, the stones aren't lit up at first, but the stones start, start lighting up, and they get hot. Yeah, yeah. So he's saying this stuff to fucking Raul, Ra- Ram, Ra- Rajagul, and yeah. he's saying it to him, and then the stones start burning through his bag and drops one, drops the second. When he grabs the third one, it singes his hand. Yeah. He throws it up, and I think Indy grabs it, but it's fine for Indy. It's not cool. In that, sequ- in that shot in the novelization, what's-his-face wakes up?
0: Oh. The bad guy? The bad guy. So he's been drinking the Kool-Aid. Yeah.
1: And there's a revelation that Indy sees in his eyes as he's fallen back. He wakes up. He's fucking innocent. He's been drinking the Kool-Aid. And that leads you to believe who fed him the fucking Kool-Aid. Who, yeah, whatever, how long somebody ago. else's. Yeah, you know, it could have been centuries ago because he's the high priestess. But for me, it's so much more tragic that he wakes up just in time to fucking, fucking get, fall get, and
0: he's <laughs> <you
1: know>, like, <laughs> a crocodile, you know what I mean? So I love that, that they inject that into the novelization that this poor guy has been part of the, yeah. you know, just like the the Maharajah and all that. And then that's where you have the British coming back to save the day because they were only like a couple yards down the road when they were yeah. leaving that morning and they I forget why, but in the book it's like they are able to, they hear the commotion, they come back, you know. So uh, that kind of, you know, kind of ties it nice, wrapped in a bow, you find out like, ah, you, you know, we're not going to let you rise up, you damn, you know, whatever. you know, (laughs) Yeah, we're going to keep you, (laughs) keep you under British rule. And then you have the, the final shot of them going back to the village, which I always found lovely where everything's starting to grow again. And they come back and then all of a sudden, for some reason, the kids have been waiting. They didn't just run back. So you have the great sh- reveal of the kids running in behind, and then you have, like you said, <laughs> five like, right, kids. Right, there. Let's go! Yeah, yeah. he's there. Go, now. Go, <laughs> go, go, go! And then they come and they run, and it's such a revel- great revelation. He gives the stone back to the ki- guy, and the guy's like, "I hey, knew you come back, you know. You come, <laughs> you bring his <laughs> the document. You go back, you, know, you come back to us. Now you go to Delhi, you know. And then it's like, you know, it's great with the. And that's another thing too, where there's a big. Uh, uh, how much short round in the novelization gets on with the little elephant, and he's talking about, Hey, Indy, you know, can we bring him back to the States and be part of a circus act? We'll do a circ, Wriggling Brothers. And then he's like, Yeah, you know. So at the end of the movie, when he, he gets the in, the elephant back and he sprays him with water, it's, you know, very nice and touching. And then they're like, Come on, and they kiss, and they have that beautiful pullback where they, they're kissing and they come back, and everybody kind of surrounds them, and it's, they're yeah, going to yeah. start singing like campfire songs, and it kind of wraps up. Um, well, the Ewok village. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Da, 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 <laughs> da, you know, it's all that kind of a thing. So, um, you know, then they, they talk about a lot of Willie's role was kind of like a Carol Lombard, like we talked about, like that silliness, you know, uh, of her being, you know, kind of like the damsel in distress. Um, so this movie ends up being done. I guess they cut some of that out. I don't know if... I feel like some of that sh- stuff was shot, but for some reason or another, you know, they cut out the whole her going back and, and Indy. Cause I had, I had a memory of for some reason reading it and then our anticipation of watching it tonight, that there were shots of Indy being under on the bed and him sitting on the outside of the bed. And she's like, just come to bed. And then he turns around and he's like, you know, and you realize in his eyes that he's, you know, yeah. and in the book it's terrifying because he doesn't realize what's happening, but he's kind of like, it's, it's kind of written in a way where it's, it's like, it's, he's being like held prisoner inside his body very much, I feel like there's something else we talked about or did recently where that happens, where someone's stuck in his own body until mm. he's able to get out.
0: Yeah. And he's seeing it We're from We're talking afar. about it from, in RoboCop 2,
1: kind of. Is it?
0: When yeah. they reprogram him.
1: Yeah, and he's kind of stuck, and he's kind of sees, you know. So uh, I, lo- I loved all that because I don't feel like it kind of slows the story down. You know, I mean, the only thing for me in the novelization was at the beginning when you start that action of Willie's backstory and then Indy, and then all of a sudden they... Jump out the window. Chapter two, it's a whole exposition of who Short Round is up until him taking the German ambassador's car to get to get to wait outside to have them come in. Yeah. That kind of slows the action a little bit, but it's a setup. It's almost like yeah. it's kind of uh, it's kind of accepted because it's a it's another start from a different point of view. You yeah. Know? But all this stuff once the ball gets rolling, it's all it's you know I feel like it fills it out very nice. You know, especially this novelist James Kahn, <laughs> who must have did a Crapload of research m- more than this movie about Indian culture and Chinese demigods and lower gods and who Short Round is praying to and who Short Round is. You know, worried about because a lot of that is like I'm going to pray to this god that any isn't hurt, or I'm going to pray Assuming to this. Assuming you know. it's all accurate, <laughs> yeah. But it sounds like it is. I mean, does not sound like they're making people up? You know, it sounds you would think that they would have took. And then another thing too is you think about this is before the internet, so all this you know you're going to microfiche, you know, at yeah, the library, yeah. like all this, all this when you're doing research, it kind of flabbergasts me for any subject to find out what the heck uh, they must have had gone into like research and stuff you know where it's just it's it's insane to me Uh, the car in the movie is a 1936 Auburn Auburn boat trail speedster speedster which was very popular in the day Um, so when the movie comes out there is a problem with people think it's too violent too dark and uh, there's too much crap going on in it and there a lot of people are upset that this gets released as a PG, because they feel like if Steven Spielberg's name wasn't on it, it wouldn't have been a PG movie. Would've it would have been enough. an R. But since it's PG, uh, it's it's the reason it was released that way. So evidently Spielberg, the story Spielberg says is because of Gremlins coming out in 84 and because of this movie, the... MPAA is kind of like up in arms and he's like well listen I feel like you guys got to have some sort of you can't just go from PG to R you need, you need a middle thing so he, he suggests having a PG-14 or a PG-13 and then after that phone conversation whatever the he, the president in a couple of weeks they do institute that and the, I guess the first movie to be released because we've talked about this before there was and conjecture we've, and we've been
0: inaccurate before mike vanderbilt always gets mad at yeah. us every time we do it
1: it's a very gray area supposedly the flamingo kid from 1984 was the first movie to receive a pg-13 rating but it sat on the shelf for five months and red dawn it gets a pg-13 rating and also in an 84 but gets released first and then around this time gremlins no gremlins doesn't get a gremlins is pg yeah. and this is pg But those two movies, Flamingo Kidding, Red Dawn, are the first ones to get a PG-13 rating because of this. And then we get that in the rating system. And then when this comes out, it makes a crap load of money, but it it gets a lot of bad press. Mixed reviews. Yeah. Paulina Kale, the girl who we always talk about, who's very critical, she loved it. Yeah. But a lot of people were like, you know, this is... And Ebert loved it. Ebert gave it like four stars. Yeah, out of four. But then there's a very notorious incident, which I wonder if it's online. I have to go research it, where Cape Capshaw is on The Tonight Show promoting this movie. And then she moves down in the chair. Siskel and Ebert come out, and they start giving movie reviews of the day. And then they give a movie review about this movie. And they start talking about how um, you know, she's bad in it or she's this or that. And then she's like, hey, I'm over... She actually says, like, hey, I'm over here. Don't talk about me. Like, I'm not in the same room, yeah. you know, as me. But they, evidently, that's it's a there's a big, um, you know, they call her wimpy and whiny, <laughs> you know, when they're talking to, to Johnny Carson. And then she replies, please don't talk about me. Like, I'm not here. I'm here. Because she's just on the other side of the yeah. couch, which can be kind of embarrassing. So I can
0: see. I feel like as a kid, I probably found her character more annoying than I yeah. do now
1: when I watch it. Yeah, because for a kid, like, short rounds, you're like, ah... Oh. You know, no time for love. You know, it's like, we, we, we got stuff we need to do, yeah. you know. So I could see that. Uh, but, you know, he's short rounds looking at it like, you know, she could be a good surrogate mother for me. She'll be a good surrogate mate for... for Dr. Jones, because he wants them to be his now... He's looking to like move back to America and have the quintessential American yeah. life that he sees in the movies, where they're going to be his... Just a year raison. later, no short round. Well, that's another thing, too. You don't, I guess there's... I don't know Crystal Skull well enough, but evidently there is a reference that she... Oh, she went off and married some big-time director, which is a f- tongue-in-cheek because she Kate Cavshaw did married go... Married Spielberg. Yeah, and that's... But, yeah, you think about... It's sad at the end of the day it's a mood point because you don't realize that since Raiders of the Lost Ark is the next movie that you're already knowing when the end of this movie is that this relationship isn't going to last you know yeah, what I mean so yeah. it's kind of like oh you know but me for all we know maybe he is still dating her in Raiders but you know he's he's it's always been that you know, Indiana Jones is a is a man of leisure. He goes out and he likes to date. He dates. Yeah, you know. Well, so I mean,
0: part of the reason why one of the things reasons why they decided not to have uh Marion in this in this one was they were like, well, you know, let's go with the Bond thing. You know, there's a the Bond girl. She's got a different girl in every movie. We'll do that with Indiana Jones. Yeah,
1: why not? Right. I mean, I think that's the you know, it's it's you want. I mean, I guess it would be fun to be to have. Well,
0: you got to figure it's a tough because it's kind of life that he leads. It doesn't lend itself to long term relationships. Yeah, I'm I'm a rebel, Dotty. He's (laughs) he's traveling the country. You know, he's a jet setter. Yeah, all over the world. Uh,
1: So you could kind of see why he's married to his work. Yeah, I used to always think about that with MacGyver because MacGyver he'd meet all these girls. And then it's almost like you feel like he didn't bet him, and then the next episode they're gone. But it's like if you look online, there's like Bibles people have written about MacGyver backstory. Like, no, it's he's a uh, he has mother issues, and that's why he can't commit to the relationship. Oh, Kirk, Kirk, right. yeah, Kirk had issues with the mom and stuff, and you know he's 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 tagging blue women and stuff. <laughs> hey, or, Kirk, you know, is you know, putting on his boots yeah. after every scene. <laughs> so we talked about the um, you know they, they they had planned a dogfight scene with planes that they that they realize. The move, this movie's going over budget. They're like, fuck. So they just take a page out, saves them a million dollars, which is this dogfight sequence with biplanes, and they put that on the shelf, and that becomes uh, La- one of the last La- crusade. crusade yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, this ends up coming out, but then people just... Um, everybody seems to have a, a bad take. Spielberg talks shit about it. Lawrence Kasdan talks shit about it. Uh, what's Kate? Kate Capshaw's talking shit about it. Somebody says Harrison Ford even talk shit about it but then if you watch the special features on the blu-ray that i have they're interviewing harrison ford and he says uh he he says quote i was fairly pleased with the final result you know he liked where you know it's a dark when you're getting into it it's 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 a it's dark but it's
0: like it is a roller coaster ride yeah you know like literally and figuratively (laughs) what's your (laughs) i mean it's it is a fun action-packed I definitely think I enjoyed it way more this time around than I ever did. Yeah. And that's not to say that I ever hated it. No. It was never like anti-Temple of Doom. Anti-Temple of Doom! <laughs> <laughs> but it just was like it was never my movie. And if I was going to pick up a, uh Indiana Jones movie and pop it in to watch it, it wasn't going to be this one. Yeah. Like most it likely was, la- it was Last Crusade. Either, it was going to either be uh, Raiders and for a long period of time, and especially my teens, uh, Last Crusade. I just... To me that I just found them more fun yeah. watching it now, having not seen it probably since high school or maybe when we were in college. So it's been at least <clears> 20 <throat> years, yeah. likely longer. It was a good time. I yeah. mean, it, it is everything, like, everything plays the right. Set like, pieces are, are exciting and uh, gloriously over the top. Yeah. Uh, the comedy is funny. You know, It works. Short Round is lovable. Yeah. You know, Kate Capshaw
1: is filling out her <laughs> the, the, the the dress well, and her a, outfit is very nicely. And she's a strong woman too. I don't I don't ever feel like she's weak. She complains a lot, but at the end she has the resolve. Yeah, but she's you also,
0: know? you know, she's like a fish out of water, look, literally. I mean, you know, my favorite character my some of my favorite movies are a lot of those like Catherine Hepburn movies. Yeah. You know and you know african queen which she which they point at as like that was one of the things she was told to watch
1: and again Catherine a guy hepburn named joe maybe and a guy
0: named joe which isn't Catherine hepburn but Ameri- also yeah, like queen, yeah. philadelphia story you know like that stuck up you know in philadelphia story she's she's clearly has this past in philadelphia story because her and and uh and uh Indy and, and Cary Grant's oh, character sorry, sorry. in Philadelphia so yeah. they've sailed. Yeah. You know, they the the ship is yarn. So there's have, she has this adventurous side in that movie, but she is like a stuck-up prissy yeah. rich girl in that movie. And so like you kind of get that here. So like I I find it very endearing like, because those are those like Philadelphia story is like one of my top 5 favorite movies of all time. So I find like there is a big correlation to me, even more so than uh even more so than, than than African Queen to me of uh, her character, Catherine Hepburn's character in that movie and Kate Capshaw's character in this movie. So for me, it's like, it's playing on that archetype. Which is completely
1: appropriate in these which kind of is, movies, yeah. Which
0: is uh, not just appropriate, but the, the, like the intent <laughs> yeah. of what they're trying to do. So like I said, as a kid, I probably found her more annoying than I did now, uh, I didn't find her annoying at all. Like, I thought she was there and a lot of the times she's there to supply the comic relief. And
1: she did that. And somebody said that, I don't know if it's she's explaining her character or Spielberg that they look at it like, you know, she's a great flirt but she's not a girl who would sleep around. And you kind of get that feeling with her where I guess, you know, the other girl from Last Crusade will do anything yeah, because you think she's pro-Nazi but it's she's past that in Last Crusade. She just wants to get the you know, whatever that is, I forget, yeah. you know, or, or as opposed to Marion, who's a very strong woman, she's fucking out drinking some big Yeti in Nepal, you know, and she's her own independent, you know, so it's, well, he's a proprietor of a yeah, business on <laughs> the edge the of, of nowhere. Yeah, it's like, it's like the edge of like, you know, the, uh, edge of society or whatever. So it's, you, you do diff- get different, you know, character types, Yeah, you know, all strong in their own way, you know, What's her face is using her sexuality in the third movie to get what she wants by sleeping with Indiana's dad, you know, and this she's, you know, gaming the system by because she wants to be a big, you know, singer in these movies, you know, she has dreams of being in Hollywood by way of making a career in China, you know. So, uh, yeah, I I find it all. I think she's great and all, you know. It, it's, uh, yeah, I really enjoyed it because, like I said to you. To me, this is very much the pulpiest you get. You know, it's
0: the most successful at that idea
1: of going like you know, you have there in the jungles or where you know it could be South America, it could be the Amazon. You know, here we're in Asia, but like you know, you're going and you're finding you know artifacts and ritual sacrifices and satanic rites. You know, like I love all that. You know, where it's bookended by these great Nazi stories, which I love as well. But but
0: there are these more like interstitial adventures.
1: That you thinking he would be going on. That you know? aren't,
0: like I said, where the stakes don't seem as high, yeah. but it's a serial, so... You have to, you know, you have a couple of episodes in the middle where he's doing this kind of thing, you know, (laughs) like they're doing something else. else. It
1: certainly made me want to go back and maybe tonight when I go home on Sunday, uh, go watch uh, Last Crusade because I haven't seen Last Crusade probably as long as I have seen this, and then it also makes me want to go revisit the Young Indiana Jones series. Yeah, you know, because I, I,
0: I revisited that in how was that one season, two seasons? It might be two. I, I, I did a revisit of that uh, maybe about 10 years ago.
1: How is it? Is it it's fun? Yeah.
0: I mean, it's slower so it's, than you remember. Does it
1: have, is it dated too in a sense, where... Um, I mean,
0: it's, it's shot on film, on location. I mean, it's gorgeous. For a television show, it must have cost a trillion dollars and, to and make. Harrison Ford shows up in one. He's got a little cameo. He bookends an episode.
1: Which is great, yeah, because he's got like a... Does he have a beard in it, maybe, or something? Or, and he's playing the saxophone, but it's it's an installment because it's... To think about in the canon of indiana jones lore that story takes place i forget when but it's another i mean you have last crusade but it's harrison ford playing indy we never knew if we were going to get the crystal skull you know that took 20 because
0: most of the time it's years. an old indy yeah with like an eye patch
1: yeah in in those because it's him like modern day this is what i remember and then all of a sudden doodle, doodle, you get back <laughs> yeah, to him yeah. being a kid or being like so- sean patrick flannery who was very nice i've met him before really 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 lovely guy and it's it's like it's it's amazing you know that that you get that little Harrison Ford playing indie, just uh, you just bookending. in the one episode. One, one episode was like a TV movie or something, I remember I don't being. Know if, I don't remember if it was like the, the Blue Pi, Flamingo was or the something. pilot
0: or – There was one point because he's like in a – it's snowy outside and yeah. he's in like a cabin or something. And they're I stuck remember. in like a
1: storm and he's got a little saxophone. He starts playing. He's like, that reminds me of a story. And it might go back to the Jazz Age episode where he's playing Maybe, jazz yeah. or something. So um, let's see. Quickly – uh, before we wrap this up, they released a certain amount of these prints in 70 millimeter, and uh, I think they would made 200 or so copies of this for when it came out in 70 millimeter, which I guess supposedly is the single most amount of copies that they made for a particular release of a movie. Even though I don't think it was shot in 70, there's no. It's weird because then no, you
0: have because then the theater has to install 70 millimeter projector.
1: Maybe there was more. Like are those kind of projectors back in the day, you know, sixty millimeters or Yeah,
0: but you figure if this was the most that they ever did, then the, the there would have been no reason to have more. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like they're supplying
1: Yeah, who are they supplying that why do they need that <laughs> many? So resources?
0: clearly somebody had to somebody had to get the equipment to be able to use that amount of prints. Because yeah. even if even if say every theater had one, they must have been doing you know, two screens. So I had to get another one. Double time. You know, t- if they were t- churning out that many prints.
1: 240 prints they made, which was the l- largest ever for a single release. And then, uh,. Marvel, they 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 released a uh, novelization, three issue novelization, which I had for this, and I know they did it with you Last Crusade. You mean comics? Comics, yeah. yeah. They did it, adapted it for uh, for comic uh, adaptions. and then lastly, I think John Williams' score is amazing, and the sound effects in this, you know, like getting the theme, but also like the sequences where you have the uh, the the sacrifice, and then like the the boom boom, and then after like he gets the sacrifice gets lowered and you have, like, the aftermath with, like, the... You know, like, you're kind of, like, kind of, like, festering on what just happened and the the cage comes up, like, you know, red because it was just in the lava. And that's something I never... Understood when I was little because, you know, when this guy's like, "Come on, come on, should go him down," he's getting burnt, he's catching fire before he even gets to the lava. Cut to like an hour later when Winnie's Willie's down there, she's she stops like close. three feet before, yeah. and then she's alright you know, she's not getting her
0: well, skin. He had, little they little had soaked him in, 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 in some, some lava. Flow.
1: <laughs> 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 so I think. You know, I think we should hit on John Williams. I'd love well, to, you look, know. John
0: Williams yeah. is, you know, if there was a Mount Rushmore of film music composers, he'd be on there. Yeah. I mean, he's, especially uh, for for our generation, but it's hard to deny the guy that brought us Star Wars music, Indiana Jones music, and Superman music. I mean, just those three right there. And that's not all he did.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, no.
0: You know the kind of the, you know you'll hear people complain about John Williams in that oh yeah the, the that he steals but from n- classical music from other classical yeah. music but here's the thing why his that's but it's one of the reasons why his music is so perfect for these movies It's like Star Wars and Indiana Jones because these movies are homages to other things so the fact that his music in a lot of ways is also homages to other things, kind of works perfectly hand-in-hand hand with the idea. And then just, you know, the just a, a brilliant composer. Even you take, you know, I'm always, because of... My extracurricular activities outside of Saturday movie sleepovers, dealing with film music. I'm constantly thinking about how film, how music works within cinema. And one of the you brought it up earlier with the the kind of the gag of the two swordsmen, and he reaches for the gun, and you're saying that even the music kind yeah, of pants back they, 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 to, to the, the original, Q,
1: the Egyptian sequence. That's
0: one of the things that people don't like realize how impactful or subtle, yeah, yeah, and music is like this idea of a callback is you can you drive, drive a point, yourself you could drive a point home by saying by bringing back music and sometimes you can bring back the same music and make the same point without even visually doing it like music on a subconscious level will be like that's like it makes you, rem- it, it's reminding you of something that happened earlier or in a different movie.
1: And it's only a couple bars too. It's like you know, it's like just a. But it's there, there and yeah, it works. You, yeah, exactly. And even if you
0: don't notice it, it's not. It's not even there necessarily for you to notice. It's there for like your subconscious to kind of absorb. Yeah. I mean, John Williams is, is one of the greats, and the Indiana Jones music will always go down with Star Wars as some of the greatest film music ever written. Yeah,
1: and and, know, and, and iconic. Uh, ben Burt's you know, just his sound design, too, with all, like, we we go into this extensively in Raiders of the Lost Ark about them, and like, in Star Wars, and Star Wars but, but, you know, taking... We did go way into it with Raiders, because well, we, we did talk Raiders about, like, the punching, explaining, yeah. well, you know... And the uh, Wilhelm scream. The Wilhelm scream, that's <laughs> a lot in this movie, or, like, them taking not just a revolver shot, but, like, a thirty thirty rifle to have to be his signature shot, or these over-the-top... Yeah. Sound effects of punching, where they're like punching, like you know, like sandbags to get that, you know, all that is it's 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 amazing, you know. It's it's
0: well, Ben Burt, I mean, he in a lot of ways changed the face of sound design. Yeah. Be actually, even before sound, even before a guy like Ben Burt, there was no position sound design, like that credit didn't exist. It was you either did sound which was what happened on stage. You did Foley, yeah. which was you would replace the sound, but you were replacing the sound with realistic sounds. Or if you were creating completely new sounds, that was called special sound effects, yeah. like special effects. Yeah, It was like you were creating the sound of the spaceship. Then a guy like Ben Burt comes along uh, and his contribution to the movies he's making is so so important that a, a that credit. a new credit is yeah. created well, it's like <laughs> I, I can't say specifically that it ben burt's the first guy to get that credit but it's ben burt and the guys like him of his generation that are pushing the boundaries of what you do with sound in cinema that creates a whole new credit of sound yeah.
1: design it's like um, mel Blanc; before him no one would ever get credit in cartoons for voice characterization he's the first one to get Voice characterization, Mel blank. He yeah. he said, "I want that title," you know. And I think also he fought so other people couldn't get it. Like I'm the guy who's going to get voice characterization, Mel. Yeah, blank. yeah, So you know you need to delineate it by a title, or you know. So um, yeah, this this was fun. And this lastly, also uh, they were talking about David Niven being uh, as Captain uh, Blumbert, but he died before filming were to begin. That would have been awesome to have David Niven be a little cameo in this, although from all intents and purposes I hear he was doing really bad near the end of his life as well as when he did that last Pink Panther movie they were like having he was having so much problems reading his lines yeah. they had ADR at all and then uh, Marky Post is her name from Night Court okay she w- auditioned for a lot of girls who auditioned for Willie I you can know? see that
0: she was a big deal yeah
1: in the 80s Night Court you know um, and this is the first movie to use THX's theater alignment program in the movies that ensures that it's, there's a technical and visual standard that the fil- the movie's going to be, you know, on the fucking, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, so it's not yeah. half hanging off or blurry. You know, there's a there's a standard which I probably is out the window now because they fired all their their. Um, projectionists but when project yeah. when projectionists was a career and there was a guy up there it was a that was a uh, union a body a yeah union job you know and the guy was up there making sure every day the you know your 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 um lens is focused everything's right the bulb was okay it's formatted right not half hanging off on the curtain so um yeah i thoroughly enjoyed this and this is one of my favorites and i feel like it does get a raw deal i mean you know i think it's i think times have changed
0: I think we were talking about it was mixed reviews when it came out, but I think over the years, the the mixedness has become more positive. And I think, there's an, I think there are a lot of people, especially of our generation, some of which I know for fact because I've talked to them, other people that listen to our show or other people on quote-unquote film Twitter or whatever – where this is their favorite of the series so I I think times have changed in in this movie I think you know maybe initially was getting a bit of a raw deal and maybe uh, in certain circles it still does but I think it's come a long way in terms of acceptance and I think people see what it is and love it for what it is well it it was news
1: to me that there's a certain sect of people who don't like the last one last crusade I mean yeah they think it's too goofy it's too that dumb that happens a lot on you know I'm sh- like why when, yeah when we do research we, and know, know, I was like what well that, that was, was word of mouth like,
0: people didn't like Robocop 2 what the hell <laughs> there was some other movie we did where I was like
1: shocked supposedly to people find don't out like. that like nobody liked <laughs> oh it was like it was a Stallone movie wasn't it or something maybe Cliff <laughs> <laughs> I forget what it was but some yeah, something we did like evidently people don't like this movie <laughs> but like I, I've heard word of mouth talking to film friends I'd like to like yeah that's just too silly like have you watched it recently it's the same people i'm arguing about batman yeah you know 89's batman they're saying ah it's just so stupid it's like batman 66 i'm like no it's not you know was like you got to go listen to our podcast to explain how groundbreaking that mother is
0: now uh dion doesn't like when i tell this story but i'm gonna tell it real quick yeah because uh, we're wrapping up and i think my parents have come home now low low <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so quickly we were on 72nd street and Broadway.
1: And, yeah, between an and Amsterdam. It's right Broadway. near where
0: there's a Grace Papaya hot dog place. We were in we were up there because I think we were holding auditions.
1: For our senior film, we were auditioning. For
0: student films, and we were taking a break or something, and we went into a coffee shop and it was a g- bunch of us. And at the time Dion was a smoker. Yeah. And so we were sitting in the coffee shop and Dion went outside to th- have a cigarette. And as we're sitting in the coffee shop, we see Harrison Ford walk by. Yeah. And the co- and the place is like on the corner. And so it's
1: like on 72nd in Amsterdam there.
0: Yeah. And so Harrison, if we see Harrison walk by, and then we see Dion. There's some kind of exchange that happens, and it turns out Dion doesn't like telling this story, so I'm going to
1: tell it. Well, Dion
0: De- was having a cigarette. I'll tell
1: you, my uh, leading up to it is I go outside, and at the time I used to smoke cigarettes, I would pack the cigarettes. You do a packing job, and you take one out to look at you know, how good your packing job was, and you'd flip it around, and that would be the last it one you smoked, lucky. you're lucky. It
0: was the lucky
1: one. So when I went outside, I was having my last cigarette, and I was looking down, and I said to myself, you know, it's so weird people call this lucky. Why is this something like this so, you know, why they call this lucky? And I turned, and I turned into Harrison Ford, who had his aviation glasses on, yep. and he's like, excuse me. And, he, and he, he went around me, and I was like, holy crap. And because it was on the corner, he got stuck at the light. Well, I ran back inside. And I said, I just saw Harrison Ford. You said, you did? And we all came back outside, and he was gone. And I was like, he was just here. He was walking down the street. Because I looked, and I watched him walk, and nobody walking towards him were making, like, look, doing a double take. I mean, it's New York City. You get the anonymity. But I was thinking, I saw, I must have saw, I was. my mind's playing tricks on me. So I ran inside to get you guys. We ran out. He was gone. I'm like, he was just here. And we see him. Seconds later, he comes out of a... He was getting his shoes done. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so he's right. coming out of a, 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 a shop getting his like... <laughs> I forgot about that part of yeah, the Yeah, I, I remember, you know, because we were Chachi and all them because they yeah, were visiting. Yeah. That's how we took the break from... And we were at, I think, a Starbucks, my first Starbucks. So he comes out of this shop with his shoes in a bag and we get to the corner. We're standing on the corner. He comes up to our corner. And the,
0: this woman is standing at the corner too and she realizes that it's Harrison Ford. And she says, she says something... Two M, but she calls she says mr ford and deon says you call her you call him dr jones yeah. <laughs> and harrison ford laughed and then he reached into his pocket and he pulled out a coin and he flipped it to Dion. yeah that <laughs> sounds crazy but it was fucking
1: hilarious and i love that story and then he started talking to this pretty good looking girl and they crossed the street together and then they walked away and then that was the end of the a- but you know. uh,
0: he, he looked at Diana. he gave Deanna. He, he thought it was funny because it clear. was funny.
1: Yeah. And uh. then I uh, – that was that. And then I, uh, I tried out for Crystal Skull because they were doing auditions in New Haven, whenever that was. And I went to one of these huge, huge – because they were looking for people to be like on a football scene and people uh, in the college. And I didn't get in. And I'm glad I didn't because I don't think you'd be able to see me. But I did try out for Crystal Skull. When did that come out? Like, oh, oh 08, 09? Oh, nine?
0: Ooh, I don't remember. Yeah.
1: Probably. So that's our Indiana Jones stuff. I'm, I'm sure we, there's more we could talk about, but I think we did enough here. It was fun. I enjoyed it. I'm sure now that we've talked, about we're going to have to do Last Crusade. Um, yeah, know. at some point.
0: Um, our, su- our summer of summer trilogies. yes.
1: <laughs> yeah, our summer of the trilogies. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. So summer sequels continues 2019 we're in the summer now uh like we always say you could check us out on facebook we're on twitter we're on instagram you can get the podcast on uh itunes uh we're now on iHeartRadio. check us out on iHeartRadio. that's pretty big we're also on um stitcher and pod bay and all the other player Podbean xm and yeah all the the other most of the you places get. you get
0: podcasts,
1: and, if you and want wherever to, you're listening to the show right, right now. now. So, and check our, our other website, our regular website out Saturday night when we sleepovers. You can get more extras for the podcast. Learn more about us. You can follow us. Uh, follow the show. You can interact with us on social media. Tweet us. Uh, like our stuff, retweet our stuff, ask us questions. We we like to talk to people who listen. We love people who interact with us and tell us what they like or don't like about the show. Blake, what do you got going on?
0: Uh, Score to Death, Conversations with Some of Horror's Greatest Composers is a book that I wrote and did interviews for. Uh, it's available on uh, Amazon, other places that you can find books, uh, or from me directly at scoretodeath.com. Um, I also have scored it at the podcast, which has been in a bit of a hiatus, but I am working on a new episode. And of course, uh, the damn fine networks cuts from the crypt is another podcast that I do where I get to play horror film music. And since, uh, we're talking about horror, I just want to give a shout out to some new friends, uh, Judson and Rob. Uh, we just found out that they have, we have some other listeners and I just want to give a shout out to some of those guys. And of course, Dion has his own shenanigans
1: i do i got blood in the streets that's a book it's available on paperback ebook and audiobook you can get it at amazon barnes noble wherever get you you get your books if you like uh whodunits 70s cop movies gritty detective you like the doors uh you can find the uh uh it there pick it up go we like to say you know you want to support us uh, podcasting support your local podcaster by go buying our books, and you can also go to DionBaya.com dot com to get an autograph copy like Blake has. Uh, all good stuff. Um, I didn't tell there's a Harrison Ford, Jim Morrison, Doors connection story, which we can tell uh, next time we do Harrison Ford's oh, you're um, the fugitive because evidently. <laughs> I have that on the the, the 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 my letter my notes for next year. I was going to say what a great movie to do, but anyway, because we're already looking for twenty twenty movies because we've we've already got this move this whole year slated. It's packed in there. Yeah. Action packed, Pewee. We put a lot of thought into yeah, this show. This, this, believe it or not, I know, I know. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, we could talk about that connection because he knew Jim Morrison in the Doors, and he was a roadie and a uh, cameraman on uh, people like what. And there's actually footage now you can go find of hit Harrison Ford and Jim Morrison hanging out, which is kind of crazy because we it was didn't always a talk legend. about the
0: practical joke. Which practical joke? On Temple of Doom.
1: Oh, we didn't talk about the practical joke on Temple of Doom. Yeah, well, um, go look it up. Yeah, go look up the practical <laughs> there's, joke. There's footage that of, looks awful, but it looks awful, but it involves Barbara Streisand. Carrie Fisher In the Kirsch and the Kirsch uh, <laughs> who we were just talking about because Erwin Irwin Kirschman too. as I used to call him and you say Irwin, yeah Kirschner Kirschner so go check that out if that's not the biggest tease you've ever heard about something I don't know what is uh, we'll see you back in two weeks with another exciting edition it's going to be a huge awesome epic uh, I guess we can tease it a little bit it's going to be kind of a double feature not so much but is that next yeah that's next we're doing a, a sequel and an anniversary so that's a little teaser you got there it's going to be epic that's going to be fun and we'll uh, we'll see you soon. So until then, later.